the mega power. WrestleMania 5! Jam-packed here in Atlantic City for WrestleMania 5 at Trump Plaza. You could cut the electricity with a knife. It's going to be fast, hot, and furious here at WrestleMania 5. All the questions will be answered. Fasten your seatbelts and get ready for the most exciting several hours of wrestling you have ever seen as part of WrestleMania 5. Right now, though, without any further ado, we're going to take you down to ringside for our opening ceremonies. So then we get a hype video for Demolition versus the Powers of Pain, which includes Mr. Fuji turning on Demolition at the Survivor Series and Demolition slamming him outside the ring. Then the Powers of Pain helping Fuji to his feet and taking him on as their manager. Then a show in February where Fuji and the Powers of Pain beat up Demolition. And at last, Tom, I think it is oh. the first time, I think it's the first time we finally got the Barbarian and Warlord live up as the powers of pain against demolition <laughs> finally after two years of this wretched podcast i finally got to see the powers of pain versus demolition i couldn't fucking believe it i was so excited it's oh, i love i love this and i do you know what the thing is these aren't these they're not they're not good tag teams really like they're they're very very limited but i fucking love the powers of pain and demolition i just think they're absolutely incredible the footage from survivor series Eight years, as you said, with that now legendary, prob- probably the best ever double turn in uh, in uh, <laughs> in WWF history. When so to give you a bit of context, like the match is a ten man Survivor Series match, so it's five tag teams and against five tag teams, and it comes down to the Powers of Pain and Demolition and the Conquistadors. What happens is um the Powers of Pain are baby faces and Demolition are bad guys and they're on the team with the Conquistadors. There's a bit where Mr. Fuji comes down, pulls the rope down, I think Axe falls out of the ring. That They then get uh, counted out or they lose in some manner, I can't quite remember. And then it leaves down to two teams being the baby faces who are the Powers of Pain versus the heels of the Conquistadors. And then they, I think, uh, Axe slams Mr. Fuji to the floor and Barbarian and Warlord very tenderly because they're good guys, come over and help him out and therefore turn babyface in the process but then get counted out, leaving the Conquistadors as the sole survivors. So the Conquistadors, this, this match has got Heart Foundation, the Bulldogs, the Powers of Pain, uh, the Killer Bees, Strike Force, the Rougeos, and it. it's got some great tag teams in it. And the winners are the fucking Conquistadors at the end of it. It's absolutely baffling. Well, before it's... you go on, Tom, before you go on, I'm going to have to correct you. Okay. <laughs> so the, the matches, the Powers of Pain, the Rockers, the British Bulldogs, the Heart Foundation, and the Young Stallions against Demolition, Brainbusters, Bolsheviks, the Rougeos, and the Conquistadors. What the winner... teams? What teams, though? <laughs> The winners are actually the powers of pain. I think oh, they, they? they finish off the conquistadors in the end of the match and then afterwards celebrate with Mr. Fuji. They have him on their shoulders. The reason I was laughing at the fact that you think it's such a great double turn is that it doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> it makes no sense at all. Fuji just suddenly turns on demolition. Maybe it's a setup. Maybe it's been a setup all along. But the point is, is after the match, 
the fans haven't really cottoned on to the fact that they're, they're, they're cheering now, Mr. Fuji. They? <laughs> they haven't cottoned on to the fact that they're now heels um, and demolition of baby faces. But by this point, they had at least. Yeah, but it's I, I love it. I remember that, again one of the videos that I had watched it a lot when I was a kid. The interview demolition beforehand, I think with Mean Gene, and they say they're in their war gear, they're in their full-on S and M. But one of them has got like a good fisting in their immediate future. Whether they're taking it or giving it, I'm not sure. But one of them's up for a good fisting there. And I couldn't believe my luck when Demolition came out and it's actually Demolition's music as well. Because so many random videos on the WWE Network or so many weird pay-per-views have got their music edited over. And it's the full Demolition music, which is absolutely amazing. I've got to give a shout-out to Mr. Fuji in this match as well because he, he's got his shirt off. What a lad. What a lad for wrestling the shirt off. And he's not, he's not in great shape. The crowd aren't appreciating this masterpiece that they're seeing <laughs> in front of their eyes. I always love the Demolition double forearms and axe handles that's all they got that's pretty much the only move they got someone's on their on all fours and they both they're they're still going fucking have it come 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 <laughs> it's, it's amazing axe is completely covered in glitter as well which i was which i which i quite enjoyed again maybe he's off to some kind of club later i don't know and what i like about it again they do the similar sort of thing they do with danny davis at wrestlemania 3 and that fuji comes in hits a couple of chops and goes out again and doesn't really get involved in the action but he gets his comeuppance when mr fuji misses an elbow off the top or off the middle rope maybe and then uh, demolition hit their elbow slash backbreaker after a botched salt spot for the match and obviously they win and retain their championships and i'm i'm like a dog with two dicks at this point i'm thinking come on come such, on here to go. such an extent that he didn't even let me say the match he just went ahead and took the match off and yeah. went around with it matt what was your what was your take on this and be very careful because we don't want tom getting all <laughs> another Bret Hart moment do we <laughs> I, I, I know I'm, I'm gonna have to try and be really really polite here <laughs> oh god I'm, I'm gonna I'm, re- I'm really trying i'm really trying right? just stick the knife in matt that's the best way <laughs> when, it, when it comes to certain acts in wrestling my dad is a person who i think of as the if i was watching it at home or if i was if i was at my parents house and i was watching wrestling and if my dad walked in the room what would he think and this is one of those moments where you would probably look at me and go what the fuck are you watching and i i can't get my head around i mean you've got guys in snm type gear which just why okay hey each of their own crack on if you like snm good for you no not my cup of tea don't necessarily want to see it like all the guys in here just struck me as as very it's just very generic big men like the almost a create a wrestler type thing where realistically you could take any big guy put them in the same get up and you probably have the same type of match so i I can't say it did a lot for me just yeah this was totally lost on me both the teams i was just thinking like nah these are the types of gimmicks and characters that just it's not not something that i can get on board with so yeah for me this this was just completely lost i mean i wasn't i wasn't particularly taken with it don't worry matt i'm not you know tom tom romanticizes over demolition and the powers of pain that's fine that's that's good that's all well and good but let's be honest they're they're very one-dimensional the thing is though there's no denying demolition's longevity and and their success within the wwe less so the powers of pain in fairness i i think for me the problem i've got with it is i don't really understand the point of a handicap match for a title or any match where they basically take the concept of the title out of it and put it in 
something different. So when you have the world title up for grabs in a six-man tag match, which happened quite a lot during the Attitude Era, for example, and I remember The Rock winning the title from Triple H in one such encounter. It just makes a mockery of the whole thing. I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense. It's not particularly great. It's, it's very one-dimensional, and it does last a fair bit of time. In fairness, again, though, and this is the thing that I, my favourite bit about this whole show, there are stories on this show they really have built to these matches we spoke about the hercules stuff earlier on now we've got this story which has been going since the survivor series when mr fuji turned on demolition and joined the powers of pain instead so again they've been building to this for a, a long time i must admit i did think to myself earlier when i was talking about how this is the best roster they've ever had i did think to myself i was like i'm gonna need to rein this in a little bit because i know i'm gonna go massively overboard during the powers of pain and demolition match so i knew i had to like rein it in a little bit so i'm aware of that affliction that I've got. Welcome once more to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and it's time for the Mega Powers to explode as we arrive at WrestleMania 5 for another quiet night in the Trump Plaza. Joining me today is Tom Smith. Oh yeah, brother. Lust in your eyes. <laughs> and also we have the polar bear, Matt Roberts. Gentlemen, should I try and do the entire show like Matthew Man? No. Be... No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't, I don't think my bowels would be able to take that. You'd pop a vein by the end of the show, surely. <laughs> Matt, Matt might also have done the same, because his, his salute was very rigid today. It felt like he had some cum on his hand and he was trying to get rid of it. <laughs> oh, like that guy from, it off. That bloke from uh, Silence of the Lambs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> something like that yeah yeah so uh yeah guys well well welcome back both of you welcome back because obviously matt you missed our wrestlemania 4 show you were scheduled to be on it um and i hope you've done your homework because i've got some i want to talk to you about what you thought of the last couple of wrestlemanias before we get into that uh with twitter teetering on the precipice of existence we on the random wrestling review are trying to broaden our reach on social media so just in case twitter should go under be sure to give us a follow on either facebook or instagram we can be found at rwrpoduk on those platforms come and join us just in case just in case we lose you and you can uh, no longer follow us on twitter so matt yes i said we'd have some homework and tom you can chime in a little bit here as well because you've obviously oh, yeah. seen them both you actually two episodes ago did watch all of wrestlemania 3 matt only managed mm. five matches i am reliably informed though matt that you have now watched all of wrestlemania 3 now we have put out your mvp score and match of the night on twitter but i thought for those who don't follow us there you might be able to give us your rundown of that and then your thoughts overall on the show. So over to you. Considering because I've watched a lot of these back to back to back, um, I'll try and remember what I can. Probably the best thing that I can remember of WrestleMania 3, Hogan and Andre actually felt quite special and may not have been the most exciting match in the world. But you know what? It actually felt like it was pretty much a big deal. And whenever I've seen like, you know, video packages and everything sort of showing it, I was like, oh, OK, the, you know, that's, I suppose that's something I've got to watch. And I'm glad I have because it really did actually feel quite special and like a really big deal. So that was definitely worth watching. Oh, I'm trying to remember what else was um, was on the undercard now because I haven't got my notes in front of me. Somebody help me out. What was the co-main event of that show? It wasn't really a co-main event, but Steamboat versus Savage was the other big match. That's the one I was thinking of. Thank you very much. That was also very good. That was worth watching. i tell you what was interesting, and I'm going to allude to WrestleMania 4 now, 
Because my impression was always, at least from what you guys have said, is that I was probably going to hate it more than anything else. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't great. (laughs) It it really wasn't. But I can't say that I hated it that much. I'll be honest, it it was very dull. The majority of the matches were just very by the numbers. And in fact, I'm going to pull up the one which did piss me off the most. You're talking about WrestleMania 4 now, just to clarify. Yeah, on WrestleMania 4, yeah. So just to be just quickly before you get there, WrestleMania four, uh, WrestleMania three, sorry, you gave your match of the night to Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage, which is unanimous for all of us. Correct. Yeah. You gave your score four out of ten, I believe. Yep. And you, you, know, that's, gave, that, you know, I'm I'm reasonable for Matt. I'm happy with that. And you <laughs> gave your MVP Hulk Hogan after I assume the selling, which we did discuss on the WrestleMania three episode. Yeah, Hogan selling was absolutely, you know, first rate for that. So, yeah, 100%. That's definitely worthwhile, yeah. What's the overall score then, thinking on WrestleMania 3? Oh, that's a good point. So, let me just quickly get that up, because I am also trying to keep us up to date with the table of WrestleManias, if you like. So, at the moment, we've done 1, 2, 3, and 4. WrestleMania 3 is top of that with (sighs) 6.33. WrestleMania 1 is in second place with 4. WrestleMania 4, after last show, was 3.67 average rating. And then WrestleMania 2 is the lowest with 2. You guys did WrestleMania 4, don't you? <laughs> we really didn't. We, we did it as fair as we possibly could do it. And I think, actually, I gave it a rating higher than I expected to. So No, it, it's, not, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it is my bucket of tea. Ah, well, put it this way, dude. Yeah, I literally just found the uh, the bit of WrestleMania 4 that did definitely piss me off the most. Was Rick, the, the Rick Rude versus Jake Roberts match. That was so dull. Like, I, I think literally I just put, it just got to the point where I was writing notes and I just stopped writing because I just kept putting headlock, wrist lock. I just put shitloads of locks because that, that's pretty much all it was. It just felt like stalling for time. And considering how many matches are on the bloody card, there was absolutely no need for it. And to be honest, with the two guys in there, I actually expected a bit more than that. So that was a gigantic pain in the ass to to watch and, and really did sort of... That, that's probably the thing that soured me on the show the most. But overall, I'll give you my score. WrestleMania 4... I went, I went with a three, basically. The MVP of the show, I think it'd be hard-pressed to not give it to Randy Savage. You know, he, he pretty much was the workhorse for the majority of the show, and I definitely felt that he earned that. Oh, tell you what, one thing that does actually spring to mind, a good thing about WrestleMania 4 is, again, how much I loved Junkyard Dog. JYD <laughs> being in, in the final three of the Battle Royal, I loved. Although, again, I just... Oh, fuck Bret Hart. I can't believe that he eliminated JYD. I was so pissed off at that. I was like, come on, this this should be JYD's time. And it wasn't. And that's just, that's not acceptable to me. So that's another nail in the coffin for my Bret Hart fandom. Uh, I was just kind of really complimentary about you, Matt. And then, now you fucked it. <laughs> I do. Lo- I love JYD. He's just so damn charismatic. Would you get your match of the night, man? Hurry up. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, yeah, it was. It was the main event. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my notes for you. What the fuck was that about? Yes, it was the main event, which was okay. Again, nothing, you know, massive to, to write home about. But again, you know, I, I felt that Savage carried it and was really good. So yeah, the uh, the main event, Savage, Ted DiBiase was uh, was my match of the night for that. So I think one of the things that obviously you've touched on there is that, is that at times the show is very boring. It's very long. And in fairness, one of the reasons it's very boring, I think, and Stephen in particular, I think, identified this last 
time on the show is the crowd the crowd were a terrible terrible crowd dead as you like really really quiet and we're going back to the same venue for wrestlemania 5 so that should be some fun for us all do you know what my mvp match in the light and score for wrestlemania 4 to be honest i didn't really want mats but he just went into it so um i only wanted his wrestlemania 3 stuff so i I had the averages but if you want to do the wrestlemania 4 stuff you carry on tom fine score 10 done Easily. I'm doing a match of the night demolition, defeating Strike Force because demolition. <laughs> and my MVP is uh, Rockstar for picking uh, for picking Bruce Beefcake and Hog. Fuck, man. That's his match of the night. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, that was a that was a crazy shout. But, you know, in a podcast of crazy shouts where Matt doesn't like Bret Hart, Tom thinks WrestleMania 4 is a 10 out of 10. <laughs> Rockstar Kirky's uh, decision to go with Tonka Tonka Man versus Bruce Beefcake as match of the night actually I, isn't that crazy. I respect that shout so much. And there's nothing else screams out fucking 80s wrestling 80s WWF quite like Brutus B. Quick versus the Honky Tuck Man I love it watch out so moving on what are our expectations for Wrestlemania 5 let's start with you Tom oh very high obviously I was excited but I was also incredibly sad as well because we're watching 1989 arguably the best roster WWE have ever had <laughs> uh, leading into this but I'm also incredibly sad as this means we're leaving the, the 80s which is you know heartbreaking for me it's not actually a pay-per-view that i ever had on tape i don't think so i couldn't remember loads of it going in but obviously as i went through watching it i was like oh yeah i remember this and this which was great very much looking forward to the main event obviously the mega powers exploding and they were the only things that are about to explode do you know what else gonna explode my cock because that was how excited i was watching it Um, Matt, what about you? What were you? What were your expectations? I've heard all about the mega powers exploding. I never saw it at the time. I have seen very little of the mega powers, so I was actually looking forward to this. Um, I thought it'd be again in, in the same sort of way I was interested of in seeing Hogan versus Andre for the first time. It was kind of like that. I thought, you know, this will be something cool that I've never seen, and it, it seems to be quite a loved period. So I was like, yeah, well, hopefully, it should be good, and uh, we'll see. Yeah, I was I was really up for this. This is the this is the first one I was. You know, in, a, in our series that I've been genuinely really up for. I've always thought that WrestleMania 5 was quite a good WrestleMania in terms, certainly in terms of the time anyway compared to other WrestleMania shows and I, I can't remember why. I think it was because you've got a Blue Blazer versus Mr. Perfect match. You've got Strike Force versus Brain Busters. Ultimate War versus Rick Rude I'd remembered being pretty good. The main event has, has always been considered a pretty decent match from this time so I was actually really looking forward to this. I was also looking forward to it from the fact that this was effectively the creative and commercial peak of WWE during the late 80s so this is the highest Wrestlemania pay-per-view buy rate until Wrestlemania 15 it was a higher rate buy rate than any of the ones that had come before it including Wrestlemania 3 and a higher buy rate than any of them until Wrestlemania 15 um, so it's a pretty big one this one this is really really big so all of that stuff together I thought okay well I'm actually really up for this it's also one I haven't seen a huge amount of and like Tom I was like there's holes in my memory about what's actually on this show so again another reason to look forward to it and one last thing Again, I saw the time on the video, three hours, 40 minutes. In one way, I was like, oh, that's a long, that's a long show. This, these are these WrestleManias, they're going to be long. But at the same time, I was thinking, I'm pretty certain the versions I've seen in the past have been less than three hours. So again, yeah. there's going to be some additional stuff that I haven't seen before that I'm quite interested to see. There's one thing in particular I think may have been cut out of the video that takes up an awful lot of time <laughs> that I don't remember, that I don't really remember. So I'm sure we'll get to that when we get to it. I'm sure we will. Time for talking points. Matt, I'm going to go to you first. Oh, here we go. My, to- <laughs> my talking oh, 
God, I'm, I, I'm genuinely, I don't have a clue what he's going to say, but I'm so excited. <laughs> I, know, I know exactly what Matt's going to talk about. My talking point for this show is the Piper's Pit segment. Oh, okay, fair enough. Where do you even start? Do you want me to run through what happens first, Matt? Yes, we will, actually. Let's do that. You, you delight all the listeners with this fantastic segment, and then I'll go into it, yes. Okay, so Harry Finkel does a major putover job for Roddy Piper, announcing him out for this segment. But as it turns out, it's not Roddy Piper. It's Brother Love instead, and he emerges through the curtain wearing a, a suit jacket and a kilt, which is a very nice combination. I think you'll all agree. Brother Love then does two parts of an interview with Piper, i.e. he plays the Brother Love and Roddy Piper at the same time. It's actually pretty good. His impression is uh, pretty spot on, I would say. The fans chant for Roddy Piper, and instead out comes Mo- Morton Downey Jr. He insults Brother Love a couple of times. Then Roddy Piper comes out. Piper verbally assaults Brother Love's appearance and then makes Brother Love jump. In the middle of this, Downey Jr. starts throwing cigarettes at Piper. This is going on forever, I've written. Piper pulls off Brother Love's kilt and then he reveals he's got a bright red pair of pants on underneath and Brother Love runs off. We've then got Roddy Piper and Morton Downey Jr. in a confrontation. Downey Jr. smokes and blows smoke in Piper's face and Piper then asks him not to. They get face to face as Downey again blows smoke in Piper's face. Downey calls Piper a transvestite. Downey then blows smoke in Piper's face two more times and then Piper asks him to give him a cigarette and then sets off a fire extinguisher at Downey. That's everything. Matt, why don't you give us your thoughts? I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, Matt, that this is your, you believe, the greatest WrestleMania moment in history. <laughs> oh yeah, this is, this is definitely up there, isn't it? It, it just comes down to, to this is WWE's attempt at comedy, which they occasionally try to do. And do you know what? I'm, for the most part, they aren't very good at it because the bottom line is the stuff they come up with is not funny. This was one of them. It wasn't funny. The, the characters involved, not funny. I, I'll admit, um, I don't get Brother Love. I never have. He looks like a fat guy who painted his face red who just tells everybody I, I love you despite being a heel, which seems fucking weird to begin with. So that that just gets on my nerves. The, the insults the Piper was coming up with, you know, like, oh my God, you look at your knees. Your knees look terrible. Um, Okay, haha, that's hilarious. Oh, I, I bet you've got no nuts under there. Ha ha ha. Because of course, that's it's not shit that you say in the playground when you're friggin' 11 or 12. It's <laughs> just embarrassing. And then, the oh, you know, his Piper's having smoke blown in his face. Oh my God, that's, that's terrible. You know he's getting so pissed off over that. And then, of course, you know, the, the punchline wasn't even anything to, to write home about either. It's, it's not like Piper laid him out. He just sprayed the guy with a fire extinguisher. I mean, what load of shit is that? It just it, it wasn't funny. I, it dragged on. I mean, I literally put down multiple times. This is excruciating. And it's one of those segments that I just thought you guys were laughing, thinking, <laughs> Matt's going to have to watch this. Because uh, as I was watching, I was thinking, what the fuck did I do to these guys to piss them off so that they would make me want to watch it? This was no good. I And Piper, I do quite like. I expect more from Piper than this. This was the drizzling shits. I just, th- this was, yeah, th- th- this was the worst thing on the show by a country mile. Now, I'd like to clarify at this moment that, um, we didn't book these shows. <laughs> <laughs> WWE did many, many, many years ago when when I was still only like four or five years old. So nothing to do with me. 
I kind of meant like like now, you know, making me watch it now, sort of thing. But yes, I, I get. It's just it. one of the WrestleManias. It's not. It's not like I'm not making. It's not specifically. I'm picking this one out. It just happens to be at WrestleMania. Um, Tom, what were your thoughts? This knocks the entire card down to a nine. <laughs> like, this, this is genuinely one of the worst things I've ever seen in a wrestling ring and on a wrestling show. It is so fucking dreadful. There is I love a, you. Yeah, at, at the begin at the beginning of it, I was ready to be like when when Piper came out. I was like, oh hello, is 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 something's going to be interesting because you know you see you see Piper, you think something at least mildly interesting or entertaining is going to happen. Brother Love comes out, and I find Brother Love detestable, which is the point, I suppose. Hmm. So I, I've never quite got him because he never really seemed to have, he never seemed to actually do anything. You know, I mean, obviously, like he very briefly managed the Undertaker, but I never really understood what the role of Brother Love was. So he just to come out and just be annoying for a little bit, which I guess at some to some extent does have its purpose. And he's got a lot of heat on him. You can tell that by his face. But I just don't think he's he's very good. But the fact that he came out and the crowd absolutely booted the fuck out of him, I quite appreciate it. You've got to say, fair play to Bruce Pritchard, because he does a cracking Roddy Piper. He does an absolutely magnificent Roddy Piper impression. But then, like, it just goes on for some, this bit in itself, even before Piper and Morton Downey come out, it goes on for fucking ages. It takes so long. And then Piper goes out, does what he does with Piper, and fucks off. And next thing you know, you've got all this awful stuff with Morton, whatever his face is, Morton Dickface. And I've, I went onto his Wikipedia page, and he is an awful man yeah. as well. But it's <laughs> So just to give you a quick thing. So you look at his Wikipedia page. There's a section about anti-abortion activism. Then if you go down to controversies, he used the word Chinaman while telling a joke, which upset portions of the sizable Asian community in Sacramento, uh, which he refused to apologize for. He brought a stripper onto a show and called her a slut, a pig, a hooker and a tramp, claimed that she had VD and then proceeded to pelvic thrust her. He was arraigned on criminal charges for attacking a gay guest on his show. He punched someone during an interview and called him an uneducated slob. He beat up a member of a camera crew for uh, for no apparent reason like this guy's just clearly a scumbag as well now apparently the cigarette blowing in the in the face is part of his act is part of his spiel but still it was just awful and it went on for so long you knew what was going to happen you knew that Roddy Piper was going to do something to him you knew that he was going to get his comeuppance at some point but to your point Matt the comeuppance is so shit and it's just, just, just a fire extinguisher to the face and it takes so long to get to I was sat there and I was genuinely thinking to myself I'd rather be watching almost anything else now and this is a Wrestlemania with the greatest roster ever so how am I supposed to how, how this gives to show how fucking dreadful it was and I can't remember if this was on the VHS thinking and this is what that was what I kind of alluded to earlier because I don't remember seeing this before I, I think it is I think it is, I think oh, it really? is featured because I also um, and I may be getting it mixed up but I know at Wrestlemania 10 the Wrestlemania moment from this show is Morton Dada Jr. and Roddy Piper <laughs> Oh god. So I've definitely seen this at least a number you know four or five times but just the end of it obviously I haven't seen the full thing and on that particular show but I don't know if it's on the I would imagine it was though because it was I said picked out as the moment of the night for when they were doing their recaps. Yeah, I mean it says something about how low somebody is that in the morally corrupt WWE he was already presented as the bad guy before yeah. he even got there you know what I mean they, they took a they took a celebrity and, and instantly promoted him as a heel because he was such a scumbag he was apparently previously a member and an out- outspoken member of the National Smokers Alliance until he was diagnosed with lung cancer himself um, and had to have one of his lungs removed whilst being treated from, for pneumonia and then his views on tobacco unsurprisingly changed 
finished at that point. Um, but he did he did end up dying from lung cancer and pneumonia in 2001. But yeah, he's obviously a scumbag, and uh, I don't really have a whole lot of sympathy for him, quite frankly, especially given his uh, his outspoken views in favour of smoking. Yeah, this is a real pile of shit, isn't it? Let's be honest. This is a re- this really drags the whole show down in the middle of it. There's a bit beforehand where the commentators are talking to allow them to set up the Piper's Pit kind of set in the middle of the ring. There's also a little bit of a gap afterwards. So this is effectively their little interlude, basically. We've seen this actually in previous episodes we've done from this period where they seem to have a long interlude period in the middle where there's lots of backstage stuff. On this show, it manifests itself in this Piper's Pit segment, which is, yeah, it's just it's just awful. It's just really, really bad. Not good at all. And the best bit for me was Brother Love. I, I actually quite enjoyed Brother Love when he was doing the Brother Love and Roddy Piper thing. I understand he's not a particularly pleasant person. As you said, Tom, that's the whole point. He's supposed to be not very pleasant. He's supposed to be kind of a an evangelical Southern mm. Baptist kind of preacher type that's what well, that's the idea of the gimmick so he's yeah. obviously he's not he's not doing it in a christian way he's kind of mocking them without doing it about god if you like that's what he's doing he's, he's yeah. basically like you know one of these american televangelist kind of people who basically ask people to phone in and give Send money money yeah. yeah and all that shit like that's what that's the idea and i like it i quite like the gimmick but it is ultimately annoying <laughs> and grating and that's the point he's a heel and he's getting the desired reaction but maybe some of that is go away before we we draw a line under this entirely wretched affair please the beginning of the piper's pit segment until the next match because there's lots of other promo segments is about 25 minutes yeah as yeah. well so there's about a 25 minute gap between a couple of matches which is bloody dreadful right so <laughs> we're now we're past all the morton downey jr roddy piper brother love nonsense tom what's your talking point so my talking point is actually about match by manny savage and it's going to be quite a short one i think um because i was thinking about Macho Man, as I do almost every day. And I don't necessarily want to talk about the, the match as such, but more people's interpretation of Macho Man Randy Savage. So I'm thinking of him uh, since he joined WWF. So what, he joined in like 1984, I think? 1983, I think 1984 80, or something? 85, I think it was. Oh, really? So he joined at that time as a heel. Obviously, then was like a baby face from kind of like 87 to... 89 then was a here then was a heel through to 91 then was a baby face from 91 in wf through to 94 when he left or admittedly not always as an active wrestler then was a baby face still in wcw and then was a heel from what i gather after he joined the nwo straight through and i i was wondering i couldn't decide whether or not in my mind's eye you think of i think of a wrestler and i immediately associate them as a heel or a babyface as in terms of like how my general you're like oh yeah they may have had a run or something else but primarily they were a babyface or primarily they were a heel and i was just interested to see what what you boys think about that because i think of him probably as a heel but i think probably most of his career he was a babyface but i just don't i don't know and i'm trying to figure it out and it's a real it's really difficult because i think of like bret hart babyface kurt angle heel i think austin babyface the rock heel even though he probably spent more time as babyface like I, i've got kind of like a default setting to what they are do you, do you still have that default it. setting in with more recent wrestlers no because they don't really have any characters they don't have a character to them do they really no, so, i think also they tend to they tend to switch so much more yeah so i think i think like it just doesn't don't necessarily think of them either way in terms of savage i think of him as a babyface right largely but that's because of the later run and the fact that when he when I first started watching, he was still in WWF and he was a babyface. Yeah, but it's a good point. He is one of the few wrestlers who genuinely does flip back and forth 
a lot during the 80s and 90s which again didn't, just didn't really happen like Hogan obviously was a babyface from 84 and he or late, late 83 when he joined WWF or maybe just it was WWF at the time I can't remember and right the way through until he left in 1993 so 10 years effectively as a as a babyface and stayed a babyface in WWE then for two more years until he finally did turn heel and the majority of this roster stays in the position they're on Mr. Perfect Rick Rude you know they don't switch a lot so Savage is, is quite unique in that respect and what about yourself Matt because it's interesting obviously because you're coming out from a different perspective where you probably haven't seen that much of him have you yeah um the, the most of the stuff that I know of Savage is, is pretty much just a you know sort of relying on history I, I do tend to think of him uh, as a baby face and here's a very brief trivia note actually the first time I was introduced to Randy Savage was through TNA Ugh. I know which I believe was his final match if I remember rightly it was with AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy. Yeah, six man, isn't it? I've seen it. It's that's it. Yeah, versus the supposed kings of wrestling, which I, I'm sure was Jeff Jarrett, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. This was the first time I had ever seen anything to do with Randy Savage. So that's how I was introduced to him. But everything I'd ever heard and, and certainly, you know, fan sentiment from what I heard. And I, I didn't realise how much of an impact that he had. And until he died, to be honest, I can't remember. There was a, there was an online sort of e-magazine that I was writing for at the time. I, I believe it was called Total Wrestling. And I had to write something on Randy Savage, which I didn't know that much about him. So I had to do a lot of research on him. And from what I had found, like I said, the majority of opinion was that he was so loved. And yeah, so for what I've certainly seen, he definitely seemed more of a baby face than a heel. It's an interesting one. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, in my mind, do have defaults with most wrestlers, but that stops around 2001. And then every, everybody after that's going to like, well, it doesn't really even matter. Everybody's both at the same time. I mean, is Roman Reigns still a heel? I, I have no idea. I don't really, I don't no. even know. So like that, it's almost like not a concept yes. anymore. You know what I mean? It's not even really a concept these days. Um, same goes for most of the AEW talent. Like most weeks, it, you could flip a coin and decide, and, and that would decide what the fans think about an individual wrestler. It just doesn't seem to stick for any length of time. Like John Moxley was being booed at the most recent pay-per-view, as far as I understand it. And then the following Wednesday on Dynamite is being cheered because he's Regal turned against him. He's a baby face or he's a, the, the attempt is to make him a baby face. 100% he's a baby face. Well, but he doesn't stay as a baby face. People boo him. Like, at the paper that was a, I guarantee that that was a one-off. 100% he's a baby face. Was that, was that not more a pro-MJF rather yes. than an anti-Moxley? But, such? but, but I don't, I'm not, not but that means, your right, point. But that but. makes a mockery of MJF then, doesn't it? Yeah. Being a heel. You know, whatever the case. The point is, is that shouldn't happen very often, and yet it happens yeah. all the time in pro wrestling. I think, again, I haven't watched it, so I can't really comment on it. But I believe that they were kind of pushing MJF as a baby face. For I don't think they were. I just think they were poorly. I think they booked it poorly. That's I mean, the thing. I, I, did, I think that they were trying to make him the heel and just going the wrong way about it, basically. Very possibly. I mean, I, I don't, don't get wrong. I, I don't. I don't think it's strange for any second that AEW could have poorly booked something. But, but WWE <laughs> so, do it too. WWE yeah. too. Don't get me wrong. This is not me bashing AEW. WWE do exactly the same. They're not booking Roman Reigns. They're booking Roman Reigns to be a heel, but they're not booking him in a way that will make will elicit a unanimous heel reaction to him. It's just not happening. To be honest, people, I think people will say it's harder these days to do it because fans are so much more actively watching. But that's that's the game. The game is to work the crowd. Just because it's harder now doesn't mean you shouldn't try as, as hard. And when I say work, I don't mean make them believe or make them think it's real. I just mean work them into feeling 
a certain yeah. way and they're just they're failing so regularly so um i don't think you can really do it but i do think going looking back at older wrestlers i do have that default in my head head of like junkyard dog baby face for example to name a guy that matt's obviously massively on board with love him <laughs> so in terms of my talking point then i am going to talk about something that i think is evident throughout these early wrestlemanias we've seen it through a number of the first four wrestlemanias and this one and we will see it again at least for another five six seven years it is the role of the manager in the wwe at this in this period so at this time pretty much every heel has a manager pretty much every heel has a manager even some baby faces have managers but in the main all the heels have a baby uh, all the heels have a manager and what what, what I, and we also touch upon this when we talk about wrestlemania 4 and that they they protect so many of the wrestlers they're constantly protecting them they don't like, like them to be pinned very often there aren't many times where an established wrestler against an established wrestler results in one of the two being pinned or submitted and what it made me realize is that the way the wwf operated at the time and had probably done for a very long time if you even if you go back to like the 70s when they had captain lou and freddie blassie and the grand wizard as the main managers in the in the com- in the company all of the heat is actually on the managers that's where all the yeah. heat lies bobby heenan jimmy hart slick mr fuji another one all the heat is going on those guys and at the end of the matches when the baby faces lose they instantly get their heat back by beating up the manager so it happens in the old warrior rick rude match it happens so at the end of that match after having having seen rick rude win Altmore gets to beat up Bobby Heenan for a while, so he gets his shine back. So Warrior gets all his shine back, having beaten up the the heel manager. Mr. Fuji is the person who kind of takes the pinfall in the match with Demolition, because again, he's the real heat magnet. He's the one who want to get the ha- get the hands on. In WrestleMania four and WrestleMania three, I spoke a lot about Jimmy Hart and the amount that he has to bump for loads of people, because again, they're trying to get the shine on the baby faces. So even when the baby faces lose, they get their shine instantly back by attacking the manager, and and they're kind of getting all the crowd behind them again and i just find it a really fascinating insight into the way the promotion was booked at the time and contrast it with now and i think this goes to that whole thing about protecting everybody where constantly wrestlers lose a match and they get and the babyface gets no way back like there's so often now maybe it was so often then rather than maybe it may be the problem or the the outlier was then which is that after the match, the babyface has always instantly got that kind of be put over again by having beaten up the heel manager. That doesn't happen now. What happens so often now, in fact, is heels win the main event and the show goes off the air. People get left disappointed. People get left with their heroes being beaten. The babyfaces end up with their end up with their shoulders pinned to the mat and lying on the floor at the end of so many matches. It's no wonder that actually large amounts of fans turn on the baby faces because the baby faces look weak and don't look as cool as they used to in the old days they looked cool every time didn't matter if they lost they just kept looking cool because they still beat the manager up after the match is there an element though of where it goes a little bit too much the other way and people are celebrating when they've actually got nothing to celebrate there can be a bit like i I think of um we talked about wrestlemania 3 when um when strike force i think are celebrating with yeah someone after they've just lost to the Canon connection yeah that's right oh no it's the killer bees is the killer bees killer bees that's right yeah and they're celebrating after they've just lost the match and jesse ventura's like why are they fucking celebrating they've just lost money yeah i mean like it's a bit too far the other way at times you are right but but i think that 
even when that is silly, it still maintains the heat on the baby face, still gives the baby face their kind of dew, their their shine. They've still got it. So it protects them as somebody you want to cheer for because they're not a loser. Whereas the baby faces in WWE and AEW and all kinds of promotions for many, many years all look like losers. And that's in the end. The other thing is that's why, as I've said before, the fans turn around and go, well, why am I cheering this guy? Like he doesn't cheat. The, the bad guy cheats, wins the match. I might as well cheer the bad guy because mm. he's cool and wins. Like smarter. he's smarter than the babyface. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. So, you know, I, th- I think it's a really useful tool that WWE used to have. They don't have it anymore because of the fact that managers aren't really a thing anymore. Certainly not to the extent they were back then. But also because I, I think maybe it is a little bit formulaic, but it does. It is a device that they were able to employ really well to ensure that they kept that shine on all the baby faces and the fans didn't turn against them for being losers. I think it's a cost thing why they didn't use it anymore, isn't it? Maybe. I reckon that's probably the There's reason. There's only four guys. I mean, Bobby Heen and Jimmy Hart manage most of the roster on their own. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you want, if they want people to be able to sell the shows and sell themselves without needing someone else to do it, I think. See, I, I love the fact that, like, that Paul Heyman is is has been around for so long in a, an advocate position or a manager or a special Basically counsel a manager. as he is Basically now, a yeah, effectively a manager. Um, that entire time, and I really like that, and I I agree with you. I I wish there were more. I don't, I'm not necessarily saying I would want everybody to be in the same position. I just thought it was a really interesting device that they were able to keep going back to every single time because it meant that the heels could win but not make the baby faces look like losers. Yeah, but I just I like the idea of there being someone on the outside. As well. a little bit a little bit of you know oh, decoration on the outside of the ring it makes it makes it a little bit more interesting especially if they're interacting I mean I watched I think I watched a match with Starkid 83 when Gary Hart is managing someone and he literally just spends the entire match lent up against the ring post looking bored as fuck and I was kind of thinking to myself at the time why, why is he there so, so as long as they add something to it and not, and not just there for the sake of it. I, love oh. it. And I think I've said this before. I love the Heenan family. I absolutely, I mean, it's obviously right up my street because it's this, the time period. But I love the fact that basically Hogan's feuding with Bobby, with people as his feud is with the Heenan family, really through throughout most of his, his big title run. And I absolutely love that. I think the thing is, is that it's not it's not necessarily even about what they do during the matches. But it's you imagine like a television show where all the, all the characters in that TV show had scenes where it was just them and they did monologue. I mean, it'd be so fucking boring. It'd be stupid. They have other characters around them. They get surrounded by other people because that's what happens in life. So in wrestling, it should be the same. You want people to be with them. It gives them something to play off of, even if it's just as part of their backstage promo or their in-ring promo or when they come to the ring. The fact that they've got a dynamic that's not just themselves on their own talking in monologue or even just being on their own makes the whole thing more interesting. I think they should have had Johnny Gargano as a manager, as Vincent Mann originally planned before he got released. <laughs> you mean Adam Cole? It was that was that what it was? It was that Adam Cole actually. Yeah. Do I, do I fucking wish they did that? Get that cunt off out of the ring. He's awful. <laughs> He's the worst of the leg slappers. What? I don't, no, I did tweet the other day. Someone said something about heels and baby faces and the the worst wrestlers being the ones that don't even try to make people boo them or cheer for them, depending on their own character. And I was like, hello, Adam Cole. Yeah, he's the worst. He's the worst. He's 100% pure bins. I'm not having that at all. Heel 
those who get cheered are bad at their job. Those who are trying to get cheered are even worse. That was the tweet. And I was like, hello, Adam Cole. Yeah, I, I've been a big Adam Cole detractor for an incredibly long time. It's the baby thing. That's what does my head You shouldn't be encouraging the fans to, to sing along with your catchphrases. Matt, what do you think about the managers? Sorry, we're getting off topic. <laughs> That's right. I was just saying, to, to be honest, for, for the most part, it's been covered. But um, I, I do agree in that it, it definitely would be a useful tour today. And, you know, like we mentioned Paul Heyman as an example. Uh, and another sort of good example, I think, of somebody who uh, who's used in that sort of capacity is uh, is MVP for, for Omos. Who, yeah, that if ever there was somebody they need to give it, you know, a mouthpiece to, is is that type of guy who's just the the big fuck off giant, you know, who's massive and I mean, don't get me wrong, okay, we, we haven't necessarily heard him on the microphone. He may be the most charismatic person in the world, but he doesn't necessarily need to be anyway. You you can just have the guy like MVP there do all the talking for him in his flash suit while the big tall giant just stands there growling. It it works. So yeah, um, it, it would be something that if they explored more would would be a really good idea you're absolutely right you know certainly back you know within this era it is particularly for me it, it is fascinating to watch because i haven't seen that many managers you know so there's certainly the time that i've been watching it tends to be more valleys and for the most part the valleys always tend to be women you know which they'll, they'll be the rest as girlfriends partners or whatever the hell it is so yeah it, it'd be something good if, if they tried to bring it back i think yeah it's, and then it's, they'll end up being wrestlers to some extent as well they'll usually the end up in some anger yeah, yeah. they'll end up in, in a match and then end up being a, a wrestler as well so again it's a completely different thing there people they're obviously bringing to groom as wrestlers potentially but they're not solely managers even though they may be fulfilling a certain role for a period of time i don't think it's particularly hard either that this is not back in this period that we're looking at they even though they were kind of in a stable so they were in the heenan family or in you know jimmy hart stable or whatever they didn't really run as a gang it wasn't quite the same thing it wasn't like they would all interfere in everybody else's matches all the time they didn't come out as a group and cut promos in in, in the ring together all that stuff like you've got with the bloodline for example they were just managed they just happened to be managed by the same person except when you got to survivor series and then they would be in a team together for example well you think about it, you don't you know george mendes the, the famed football agent you don't have like cristiano ronaldo and god knows however many people are represented by him <laughs> hanging around doing post-match interviews or hanging out on sky sports yeah. or whatever do you know what I mean you don't do it do you so it's not an entourage yeah, type thing so no. you know and and back then it wasn't it was just that this person happened to be managed by bobby heenan so that person and bobby heenan might be kind of resourceful and go right i've got these two wrestlers i'm going to put them together in a tag team and and give them some matches but they weren't like all a big gang who would work together all the time it was just kind of a loose loose association of different wrestlers and i think they could easily do that now with three or four people Heyman, mvp a couple of others who would just have the majority of the contracts of the, of the different wrestlers who were on the heel side also a really good device for actually identifying who your heels are because hell that's something they they struggle with at the moment as well right we've done our talking points but we're not quite an hour in so i'm going to uh switch it up and go to the show from the beginning uh right the way through so we start with a saxophone yes and warlike graphics to start the mega powers explode vince mcmahon says with every sinew of his neck just being ripped as he says it you can just you can see it can't you it looks like deirdre barlow when he when he uh you can imagine he looks like deirdre barlow there's something if whenever i used to watch coronation street when my parents used to watch at home if you ever watched deirdre barlow all of her veins and her tendons and stuff in her neck you could see every time she spoke she had this very kind of intense way of speaking which meant her entire neck was like completely taut all the time. That's what I imagine Vince McMahon during this bit of the show. I was going to say, I thought you were an EastEnders guy. 
<laughs> I am, I am. But my parents did used to watch Coronation Street occasionally. And Deirdre, I just remember that, having watched it. They're also big Crime Stoppers fans. And they'd put that on whenever Tinky was annoying. Because you used to find the theme song scary, didn't you? No, it was 999, <laughs> wasn't it? No, no. So you've got about 14 different things mixed up. Yeah. There. So <laughs> my, my parents and I used to love Crime Watch which is a great show, which used to be monthly. Now it's like daily, I think, but on like daytime TV and it's rubbish in comparison to what it used to be. Crimes um, aren't as good as they used to be, are they? <laughs> not the ones they feature at nine o'clock in the morning anyway. Um, <laughs> Crime Stoppers, the advert when I was about six, oh. was scary. I used to find really scary. It was just this grey screen and this really low hum that the music started with and it, there was a pair of lips that came on the screen and then the lips, they would zoom out and there would be lots more lips and it was just, I used to find it really scary but I was, I was only a kid what are you going to do and then 999 I just yeah I, I don't have a particular history of 999 oh no 999's brilliant anyway the um i was thinking vincent man's neck again as i do most days i always think of can remember uh, again this is very niche for me and tinky matt so you'll have to forgive us but the right. bass player and my dad's old band used to have a great neck he used to give it <laughs> when, he'd, when he'd be doing when he'd be doing one of the songs he'd be doing i don't know like under pressure or something like that by when he'd be doing the bowie bits in in uh, in under pressure on the queen tribute nights his veins would be fucking busting out of his neck what a guy okay so then we get monsoon saying we are going to the ring for the opening ceremony ceremony so i didn't realize that wrestlemania had become the olympics but that's apparently what we've got obviously i didn't watch wrestlemania 4 and i'd kind of forgotten that it was in trump plaza again and i'm looking i'm thinking fuck me that's a come down from wrestlemania 3 in there this tiny arena like it looks so fucking small compared to what we've just what i've just seen so howard finkel then introduces rockin robin to sing america the beautiful rockin robin the current wwf women's champion at the time poor poor woman that she's been put through (laughs) this i have no idea what made them decide to do this this is quickly rushed through so the tempo of this one is super fast and um, there's a very very cheap sounding blackpool pier type backing track that she's got to sing along to and ventura sort of wraps this section up aptly by saying she better keep her day job which ultimately she didn't because she was released not long after this i think so Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight, Rock and Robin. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh God, come on! Like, this is dreadful. You've just gone through the, like a soul music hall of fame, and then you're just bits of rock and roll. I feel really awful for because it, it is dreadful. And the fact that Jesse Ventura says she should keep a day job. Now I know he's a heel, you know, and she's boofaced. But at the same time, I'm like, God, you know what? He's not wrong. And she's also uh, Matt. Do you know who's who? Her brother is. No idea. Her brother's Jake the Snake Roberts. And really? Sam Houston and Sam Houston as well. They're all siblings. I don't know whether this was just a joke. This must have been just a joke on her. <laughs> you know, she pissed. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, ultimately, why would you have to? As, as we've just, as you've just said. Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight. What? I mean, at WrestleMania 7, they got Willie Nelson. I can't remember who's at WrestleMania 6. But the point is, is that they clearly were like, we've got no position for you on the on the show. You're the WWF Women's Champion. That doesn't really mean much to us at the moment. So we're going to chuck you out there and sing America the Beautiful. Could it be the worst version of America the Beautiful ever? Wow. So the um, WrestleMania 6 is Robert Goulet ah. singing Oh Canada. Oh, because it was in Canada. In fairness. Yeah. The DX band at WrestleMania 14 is awful. Well, well, we'll judge it when we get there. But for the moment, yeah. this is the worst so far. Although, obviously, we have to include Gene Oakland at WrestleMania 1, who did the Star Spangled Banner. I would say that was still better than this. He's got more charisma. But also, he? he's not, not following Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, and Gladys Knight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she really got thrown in at the deep I end. Bet, I bet after Rock and Robin finished, I bet she was Gladys over. 
over. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Before match number one, Bobby Heenan tells the crowd that it would be appropriate for everybody to stand in respect of the king of the WWF, King Haku, who comes out for his match with Hercules. This match goes for seven minutes. It ends when Hercules hits a back suplex into a bridge for the pin. Tom, what's your thoughts on this one? For a start, the what you were talking there about everyone, uh, Bobby saying that everyone should bow to Haku. Jesse then says he can't see anybody booing, and uh, Gorilla says, "Well, it must be because of the camera angle, which I, which I quite liked." Hercules comes down. He's he's a babyface now, um, swinging his chain around like an absolute psychopath. And I was as I was watching this match, I was thinking to myself, like maybe it's because we know how fucking hard Haku was, but all of his offense looks amazing. And I'm watching it thinking, God, I don't want to be taking one of those chops from Haku. It looks fucking brutal. There's there's a little bit where I think um, Haku tries to get a uh, bear hug on Hercules, or it might be the other way around. Another little bit of commentary when Gorilla says he's not going to submit to that, and Jesse's like, well, he's not going to try and get him to submit him, but he's trying to wear him down, which I thought was a nice bit of commentary. And for the time, there's some reasonably high-flying moves in this. I mean, there's a couple of cross bodies from Haku. There's a flapjack from Hercules. It's all just it's all just quite not a bad match, and I thought I, I, I reasonably enjoyed it. There was a bit of a weird move, though, where, Haku, where Hercules inexplicably tries to go off the top rope and tries to hit something. I don't know what he's quite trying to do, but it's a lovely sidekick from, from Haku. And Haku misses the headbutt off the second rope, and the suplex that Hercules does, and the bridge in particular, is absolutely repulsive. <laughs> it's the worst bridge you will ever see. He's basically just led on his back with his, with his legs, his feet flat against the floor. It is absolutely appalling, considering how much we love a bloody good bridge from a suplex on this show. That one is going to go in the random wrestling review hall of shit. <laughs> I think that's fair, Matt. Well, first of all, what I found quite funny is Haku's theme, because to me, that's Jerry Lawler's theme. This match is, is going to be a lot of this sort of theme coming from you uh, the majority of this show in there. I don't think a lot of these matches were bad, but they weren't necessarily good. They were kind of, they were kind of just there. You know, that, that's how I feel about the card as mostly as a whole. So, I mean, you know, it, it was okay. Um, I will say that I did feel that Hercules looks like a rather really jacked up version of Elias. At least he did to me anyway. But yeah, there, there was a couple of good things in this, you know, a couple, um, couple of good suplexes uh, from Haku. You know, there was a sort of stalled backbreaker thing that he did, which I thought was quite nice. The bear hug spot did go on a little bit too long for my taste, but you know that that was fine. I, I keep I'm going to keep calling him Herc because I've got I've got him in my notes as Herc. It's sort of an uh, a crossbody at the end and a nice power slam. I, I do agree, Tom. The uh, the bridge was that does deserve to be in the in the uh, the hall of shit. It wasn't great, but yeah, it was, it was it was a relatively decent start to the show. Not not you know not not too great, not too bad. It was it was fine. I thought this was alright actually i thought this was quite good pretty average i wasn't really expecting it um, haku versus hercules for whatever reason seems like a very strange opener to me it doesn't seem very regular that they would do that it just it just seems really odd that they would make that the first match but it's actually all right and there's a little storyline here so hercules had been sold by bobby heen to the million dollar man ted dibiase which then hercules had obviously rebelled against and become a baby face as a consequence of it so again nice little bit of storyline and obviously haku's bobby heenan's kind of main man or one of his main men at this time and you know again i think what i love about that is that they've drawn upon the ted dibiase gimmick they've just said like this guy's got money so he's gonna him 
having lots of money is going to lead to things. And one of them is he tries to buy someone who doesn't want to be bought. And the heel manager's happy to sell him because he's not got any scruples himself. So I, I like that a lot. Weirdly, though, in the middle of this, there are some boring chants <laughs> immediately. So <laughs> this is, I mean, already exhibit number one about this crowd. We yeah. talked about it at length during WrestleMania 4. But in this show, they are once again sitting on their hands for the vast majority of it. Not really interested. It really does feel like you've got a lot of people out there that are quite rich just out there to have a sort of few laughs on a saturday night it could be anywhere they could be at the theater they could be at a bar they could be at you know a country club do or something they just happen to be at wrestlemania 5 because trump or vince or wwe or someone has, has invited them along and they don't have a clue they don't care the only people they've heard of are the ones who've been in movies or you know are in the main event so yeah it just instantly first match boring chance already really kind of strange situation there you see the front the front row on the higher camera you see donald trump in shot throughout the entire the entire show along with lots of other 1980s wall street yuppie <laughs> kind of characters i was disappointed i didn't see irs actually amongst them because that'd mm. been quite nice but yeah it is it, you're right the, the crowd in this and this is dirt and again follows on from wrestlemania 4 same people i expect probably we had a shit time last year and didn't have make any noise let's do that again shall we it doesn't help that trump himself seems to arrive just a few minutes into the first match yeah. So he's opposite the hard camp. You, I think you can see him arrive and then he's chatting to some people for ages and it really distracted me for a long old time because there's people. So someone stood facing him from inside the ring barrier as well, like the crowd barrier. As I say, it felt like they could just be seeing a singer somewhere, you know, like, oh, we're going to see Robert Goulet at, at the casino, for example. It could, it could be something like that. Next up, Gene Oakland's backstage with the Rockers. Michael says everyone says the Twin Towers can't be beat, but they can. Jeanette says they're ready. They like saying Grease Lightning during this particular promo but that was about all i got from it i, I was too busy paying attention to the jive soul bros in the background the amazing music of the the twin towers yeah i'm just sat there going drive soul bro a drive soul bro when you that was always sat there in the background having a lovely time a creed turned up in the middle of that one yeah why not why not next up the rockers faced the twin towers in a match that went for eight minutes it ends when michaels comes off the top rope but Bossman catches him and power bombs him then akeem hits air Africa for the three count. Air Africa just being a splash. Uh, Matt, your thoughts? I must have missed that. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, Air Africa. <laughs> I like that. That's a that's a cool move, Dave. Well, this was, of course, uh, yeah. I don't, you must. I don't know if you know this map. Of course, this was apparently all a big send up of Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. So that was the idea of Akeem, the African Dream. And um, he's of course played by one man gang as well, who was certainly not African in any way. The way that they decided to make him seem African apparently was to dance his way to the ring. <laughs> Uh, that's, oh god yeah that's... If, you, uh, if you get the chance Matt watch go onto YouTube and write one man gang becomes Akeem because it is extraordinary I'll make a note to look at that okay so again another match that was that, that was fine for, for what it was I mean it was fascinating for me to see because um, we, we've debated the Shawn Michaels Bret Hart issue before but you know, we'll go into that another time but I, I'm more of a Shawn Michaels guy so I, I was quite fascinated to, to see some of Shawn Michaels earlier stuff and I haven't seen that much of Sean as part of the Rockers tag team so I was quite fascinated to see Marty Jannetty as well this was good um, like I said it, it wasn't it wasn't too bad it was interesting to see Michaels kind of bump all over the place and you know try, try and make everybody look as good as he possibly could he, he did take what I thought was one absolutely massively hard clothesline from Akeem to, towards the end which looked 
bloody brutal. So, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, like I said, it was for me. This match was pretty much Michaels bumping all over the place to make him look good. It was okay. It was entertaining enough, and it, it was it was you know kept the show going. So th- th- this wasn't too bad. I did enjoy this one. It's very interesting because um, Shawn Michaels very much plays like the Robert Gibson role, doesn't he? In in the Rockers, uh, where he basically gets a lot of the heat, which is interesting because we watched an AWA card involving the Midnight Rockers, and it was the other way around, um, where Marty Jannetty gets beaten down and gets all the heat. But it's very much Shawn Michaels' territory in what little amount of Rockers matches I've seen in WWF. I quite like this. There's lots of talk at the beginning about the Rockers using the speed. In the beginning of it, there's lots of rapid tags, lots of double team moves. Jesse ponders if the Twin Towers took the Rockers for granted, and Gorilla says, I think Slick is a little bit too smart for that. Which, again, is just another little bit interesting about the, the heel-face dynamic in the commentary team, but still willing to give the bad guys the you know the credit that they that they seemingly deserve. It's a lovely little bit where I think Jesse ribs old uh, Gorilla a little bit by stating that Joey Morella, who's the referee who was obviously Gorilla Monsoon's son, can't actually count to five. <laughs> so it's during a, during a moment where there's a potential count out, which uh, he goes, "I'll oh, give it up." Another classic <laughs> Gorillaism, and it's 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 decent. It's it's, de- it's a decent match. Um, there is one bit where <laughs> where the boss man goes to hit a splash off the the second rope, I think, and uh, <laughs> Jesse says he was about four feet away from a pinfall there, which <laughs> which made me chuckle as I was watching it. And the the highlight of the match is a slightly mistimed double drop kick where the rockers nearly kill the big boss man because <laughs> they put one of them hits him and he sells down and the other one hits him as he's halfway down and he takes the poor cunt's head off it's amazing but yeah it was it was good i enjoyed this match i i, I quite liked it i mean the reality is i'm gonna like every match on this card so you know <laughs> I, i'm not gonna have much bad to say about most of the matches but it was abs- it was absolutely fine for for what it was it was it was a perfectly enjoyable match yeah i mean i i noted the missile drop kick double missile drop kick where they basically nearly kill big boss man i think marty janae hits him and Shawn michaels comes off the top too late and basically lands on top of him and it's yeah it, it, it all looked a bit funny but you can see why the rockers were really popular because they were just so again really different there weren't, weren't any many people doing what the rockers did in wwf at this time you know you'd coco beware is a pretty high-flying kind of guy but they they didn't have anyone like Shawn michaels and marty janae they were just a different different class and ultimately were i guess they must have been a ripoff of the rock and roll express they they, they just must have been right from the when yeah. they started in the awa and they weren't the only ones obviously to, to a certain extent the hardy boys were a bit of a ripoff of the rock and roll express you know there, there's a lot of teams like this you could argue the young bucks are just the latest incarnation of that kind of theme but certainly the rockers really did make a, a real success of it and in wwf where there weren't a lot of people doing this it really stood out and really got them to be a really popular team albeit one that didn't in the end officially win the wwf tag team titles next up we've got tony Schiavone backstage with ted dibiase he says that beefcake will meet his destiny when he's beaten by the million dollar man not loving this from the other man just a bit of a throwaway promo the million dollar man does say that however that he is well groomed and won't let brutus get his grubby hands on him and it's not like that that beard is very well lined up i'd say um then we get ted dibiase and virgil shake donald trump's hand as they enter for the match and then it's ted dibiase versus brutus the barber beefcake in a match that goes for 10 minutes almost exactly and as dibiase distracts the referee virgil attacks beefcake on the outside dibiase then joins beefcake and as they brawl they're both counted out it's a tie matt's favorite end to any match tom what's your thoughts on this one first of all the garments i want to discuss lovely juxtaposition million dollar man black little bit of gold brutus gold with a little bit of black lovely stuff 
That's exactly what I want to see for Arad. Ted DiBiase, he's so fucking good, isn't he? And at the beginning, he's bumping all over the shop for um, Brutus. And one thing I actually should have already mentioned is that Brutus's music is so great. It's so amazing. And the fact that it's got like the snipping scissors sound in the background just makes it so much better. I, yeah, I really actually really enjoyed this. I like that um, there's, there's a bit where Ted gets 10 uh, turnbuckle hits to the face and the cameras on the angle of the turnbuckle. So you just see Ted DiBiase's face get driven into it and he pulls some absolutely extraordinary faces, which is which is beautiful. Virgil, at his best, I think we could say, when he's not wrestling, but acting as a nuisance on the outside, gets involved many times to uh, give Ted DiBiase the, the upper hand. There is a bit at the end, though, after both men get counted out, after uh, Virgil hits his old Pearl Harbor job on uh, Beefcake, there's a bit where basically Brutus, Beefcake and Virgil get into get into a little bit of a fight. And I thought to myself, oh, imagine a six month program of Brutus, the Barber, Beefcake and Virgil. It would possibly be the most awful feud you've ever seen. But thankfully, uh, Hogan's asshole needed licking that urgently that Brutus was never really called on to do that. So that was all right. He goes to get the shears to presumably cut Ted DiBiase's head because older uh, Virgil's bold as a coot. So there's no way any was ever going to um ever cut any hair of him but one thing that is quite uh, amusing is that he goes to get the shares and, and the heels escape and jesse says that was assault with a deadly weapon which to be fair he's not wrong you could very easily maul someone with those shears shares and then brutus does some crap dancing at the end which i think we can all agree is amazing so again five stars <laughs> absolute piece of magic five stars in the trump plaza exactly exactly which is probably about 16 stars in the tokyo dome <laughs> Matt. Yeah, I, I gotta be honest, I, I can't say that this one really worked for me. Yeah, I, I didn't find it all that memorable. Um, there's pretty much sort of, well, three things that I can sort of note in here. One it is quite an unfortunate note that I've written down in there. It was meant to be Ted fist drops Brutus, and I've accidentally typed in Ted fisted Brutus. <laughs> um, so that's a bit of an unfortunate uh, note there. The, the finish, and I will literally read out verbatim what I've written down. Both guys fight outside the ring and both counted out. Fuck that. No, I don't like that finish. I thought that was bullshit. Nah, don't want to be seeing that. I, I know at this stage, I mean, maybe, well, WrestleMania is not as big and, you know, perhaps as special a show as it sort of has become. So at least I don't in, you know, in shows over the last couple of years, I wouldn't expect to see that type of finish. Maybe it was a bit more acceptable then, but I don't want to see that type of show on WrestleMania. It just doesn't work for me. I don't and, think this has got anything to do with the WrestleMania-ness of the show. I just think it's the time. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a fair point. And uh, do you know, as far as Brutus, the, the character goes, it's something that I've discussed before. I just, I, I don't get it. He just, he, Brutus is meant to be the baby face. And just the fact that cutting somebody's hair just strikes me as such a, dick move so i don't care who he goes after I just think what a prick it just really rubs me the wrong way every time i see him trying to do it so i, I just can't get on with him matt we've just discussed that dbc tried to buy a person and yet apparently <laughs> brutus beefcake is worse because he tried to cut dbc's hair it just rubs me the wrong way i don't know why well you heard it here first matt thinks <laughs> that slavery is better than forced haircuts so in matt's defense <laughs> no is no <laughs> is it as far as I'm aware? I think he only did that once. Yeah, Ted DiBiase. Whereas, whereas you know, one, one, old one, one, once a slave owner, always a slave owner. <laughs> yeah, Tom. But, yeah, but, yeah. But... <laughs> What we say is that Brutus is a habitual offender, <laughs> <laughs> a hair habitual offender. 
good. It just strikes me as like it's one of those things like you know you you know when you're younger you go to a house party and then you wake up and some prick has cut off your hair or something like that. It's like what the fuck? But at least That's you haven't been sold to somebody else. Yeah, hair grows back. To to, to to be fair, is it? Would you say that the uh, barber gimmick is barbaric, Matt? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, also, on that on that falling asleep at house parties and having your haircut, just don't be friends with cunts. It's yeah. easy. It's never happened That's to true. me in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody and t- knows a cunt. And t- t- well, yeah, I'm on a call with two of them now, but the <laughs> I'm not going to a house party with them, am I? <laughs> no, I agree with Tom. They just cut those people out of your life. You don't need yeah. that shit. I thought this was rubbish. I didn't like this. Very much. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not a fan of Bruce the Barber beef, Beefcake in any way. It's gimmick. It's wrestling. Anything about him, to be honest. Funnily enough, though, one one match that we covered recently which had beefcake in i saw i was looking at his face and he really does actually look if you put a, put a mustache on him or a goatee he'd look like hulk hogan and that makes a lot of sense because they were billed originally as brothers when they first arrived in wrestling so they've been around each other quite a long time and that's why beefcake continued to get employment and apparently this time continued to be protected beefcake never got pinned we saw the the previous we saw the previous year's show where he kind of got count i think he got disqualified or Honky got disqualified in the match with Honky Tonk Man. He, he turned babyface at WrestleMania free, so I, I suppose that's a bit different. But yeah, it just oh, I don't understand it. It's just got like protected forever. It's, it's rubbish. The, I thought you were gonna say it's funny because you look at Bruce Barbie and he really looks like Zodiac from WCW. <laughs> so next up we have Lord Alfred Hayes at brunch with the Bushwhackers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You yes. are busy eating and can't talk to Hayes. Hayes then can't decide whether he wants to say primitive or private for about a minute and struggles to decide which one of those words he wants to use. This is, ah, oh, I mean, it's peak Alfred, isn't it? It is peak peak Alfred Hayes, really is. I think I messaged uh, Stephen on Twitter about this. I think it was an exchange between myself and him. But I think that if he has got an absolute fucking hog on him, then no wonder he's crap at his job because he ain't got to try anything. <laughs> People with huge dicks don't need to try out anything. You know, it's a, they're just they're so confident, overly confident. They don't have anything to prove to anyone. So he's like, yeah, do you know what? Fuck it, I'm fine. And like, you prepared. He's like, I don't need preparation. I got this, mate. I got <laughs> in, in, in a stunning turn of events, I had a, uh, an interview with Rain Rooney, apparently, because he's the manager of um, DC United now in the United States. And apparently he... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he basically said to his teammates as, as a way of inspiring them, I got a fucking tiny dick. And I tell you, if I'm a Man United in England's all time top score, goal scorer with a tiny dick, <laughs> think about what you could accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> got to admire that kind of, uh, got to admire that kind of honesty and that kind of accomplishment. I mean, the guy's had to work. If, if you're right in that Lord Alfred Hayes hasn't had to work a day in his life because of it, then, then Rooney's had to work doubly hard. Exactly. What guy? <laughs> Matt, I don't suppose you've uh, got anything to say about Ray Rooney, Lord Alfred Hayes or the Bushwhackers. Here. I know absolutely fuck all about either of them having a tiny or giant dick. Yeah, so Lord Alfred Hayes was just rather cringe, and that was pretty much all I had. He wasn't cringe, he was just crap. It was just absolute yeah. crap. <laughs> then we get the Rougeau brothers versus the Bushwhackers. It's a match that goes for nine minutes and ten seconds. I mean, seriously, how did they give this nine minutes and ten seconds, <laughs> these two fucking teams? They basically this ends when the Bushwhackers hit Raymond with a battering ram and then double gut buster for a pin. Matt. I'm just going to say it now. Fuck the bushwhackers. <laughs> it's not quite as good as uh, NWA's Fuck the Police, but, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting. <laughs> it's a concept for a song. Fuck the Police coming straight from New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. They, uh, they, for me, the bushwhackers are just an entrance. 
that's it. The people seem to enjoy the, you know, the, the, the putting your arms up and whatever shit, and that that's just it. I, I, I've yet to see anything they've done that's just, just been remotely entertaining or or worth <laughs> worth my time. This was no exception. Other than the finish, I, I kind of felt like they were being squashed, which I was I would have been cool cool with had they just lost, but then they won, and that was a shame. But yeah, just, again, I, I just I just don't think anything with the bushwhackers is worth anybody's time really. So if anybody wants to actually watch this, yeah, just just skip it. Just don't don't, don't don't skip it because you'll miss the commentary where uh, Jesse Ventura says, "Were you hitting the Joy Juice Gorilla?" <laughs> and, and I will see you know like the bushwhackers after an evening on the joy juice (laughs) i think this is this is the true value of this show if i'm honest i think there is no better example of gorilla monsoon and jesse ventura this show they are hilarious throughout they are a joy to listen to we've spoken about this before spoken about nostalgia this isn't about nostalgia this is just genuinely funny a lot of what they say during the show is just them two having an absolute laugh together enjoying themselves arguing with one another as a heel and baby face should do but in a kind of very light-hearted way where Ventura constantly kind of gets frustrated because Gorilla Monsoon will move on before he can win the win the argument. It's just it's just lovely. It's just really, really good. And they are funny. And as I said during this one, Ventura's like, as you just said, Tom, he's talking about him being in the casinos on the Joy Juice. It's just it's just great. Brilliant. Um, they are great. I'll give you that in all fairness. Yeah, I, I don't think it's nostalgia either. The, the two of them are genuinely very good. I've said this before, best commentary team ever. Absolutely love it. I put them on and it, it sends me to my happy place. I've got no notes about the actual contents of this match. <laughs> it's not surprising because there is nothing to I've, note about got, it. Yeah, it just it goes to show, like, you, further to your point, Matt, it never ceases to amaze me how over the bushwhackers are, and all you need is a silly walk. And that's it. In the 80s, that was all it need, all you needed. It looks like there's a bit where uh, the bushwhackers try and take off Jimmy Cook's heart, and Jesse thinks that the, bush, the bushwhackers are going to try and eat his coat, <laughs> which, which I quite liked as well. But that's about it. They, they, they The bushwhackers win when they, as you said, they hit the, the, the battering ram and then the double stomach buster the battering ram is the most there's a lot of moves in wrestling that you need to suspend your disbelief for but the battering ram is the most ridiculous move you've ever seen surely there's no part of impact because you're basically just getting hit really just by the the one that's standing up <laughs> do you know what I mean like it's stupid what I will say though I like the double gut buster move afterwards so again I can imagine that being genuinely agony which Jesse kind of acknowledges that it's a great double team move but what happens after the match is the real talking point because uh, Sean Mooney's down the aisle and then he gets molested oh. by the bushwhackers <laughs> she's on there and that was the real highlight of the match for me I've, yeah I've literally just got Sean Sean only gets licked by the bushwhackers what is that uh, that's, that's the bushwhackers that's what that is. That's the bushwhackers coming through. That's fucked up. Licking, licking Sean Mooney. They were licking children in a show that we watched uh, not too long ago. So this is at least better than that. Fucking ah. <laughs> <laughs> What I'm going to do there is I'm going to, we're going to take a break. We've had our talking points. We've had a couple of matches, um, but we'll be back in a second when we run down to the rest of the show. Footage, Hulk Hogan. The only thing I can say, what a difference a year makes. A year ago at this time at WrestleMania 4, you were at the side of the Macho Man when he became the undisputed World Wrestling Federation champ. One year later, here in Atlantic City, you're going to be challenging this very same man for the world crown. Well, you know, you're exactly right, Mean Gene. One year ago, brother, me and the Macho Man were as one. We were best of friends. We would do anything to win together, brother. And if you would have told me one year later, right in the very same place that it started, in the Trump Plaza, that we'd be locking horns, going head on head for the WWF Championship, I'd have called you a liar, Mean Gene. 
But you know something? I should have seen this thing coming, man. As the mega power team was formed, brother, as the summer slams, as the Survivor Series went down, as the mega power started growing together, the mania was a little bit ahead of the madness, man. But it really didn't matter. You were either in or you were either out, brother. You either believed or you didn't, man. And you were either ready or you weren't. The macho man made me feel that he believed in the three demandments of the prayers, the training, and the vitamins. He made me believe that he was in my corner, me and Gene. And he also made me believe that he was ready to fight all odds. That's why I stuck with him, brother. That's why we stayed together so long. You know, as that relationship of the mega powers deteriorated even further... Macho Man Randy Savage went so far as to attack your Hulkamaniac. Oh, yeah, he did more than just attack the Hulkamaniacs, brother. He went so far as to put our manager, the lovely Elizabeth, right between us, man. It was him that was eaten alive by the jealousy. It was him that was eaten alive by the lust, brother. It was a simple fact that the Macho Man couldn't be the man that all my Hulkamaniacs wanted him to be, brother. He couldn't handle the load. He couldn't handle the pressure. But what really really tore us apart was the way he was so jealous of Hulkamania, the way he put Elizabeth between us, the way he manipulated her, the way he twisted this whole beautiful thing around. But I found out one thing, Macho Man. You're not a believer in the demandments, mother. Brother, you're a cheap shot artist. You take whatever you can get as quick as you want. You were never in my corner. You were always on the outside waiting for me to make the first move. But just like Donald Trump, macho man, I hope you're ready, brother, because Donald Trump has questions in his own mind. He sent a whole team of seismologists out here to check the foundation of the Trump Towers, because when the mega powers explode off the launching pad, brother, as we erupt over the whole Atlantic City, he was worried about the foundation. He was worried that the thousands of people in the arenas might become unseated and swallowed by the earth. Donald Trump, don't worry about my Hulkamaniacs. They're survivors. They're ready. But you, macho man, I don't care where you stand. I don't care what you believe in. All I want from you is your best. I want you to be ready. I want the macho madness to be at its peak. Because when Hulkamania rules, when Hulkamania lives forever, when Hulkamania puts you down on your knees, I want the whole world to realize that I beat you at your best. And at the end of WrestleMania, Five. I will be the World Wrestling Federation champion. And what you gonna do, macho man, when the whole world full of Hulkamaniacs destroy you? Okay, welcome back. So, for the next match, Mr. Perfect is entering the arena for his match. And uh, just as Monsoon is saying that Hennig looks perfect, he nearly trips up on the way to the ring. <laughs> 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 couldn't be better timed could not be better timed he's coming down to the mat ring for his match with the blue blazer a match that only goes for five and a half minutes and ends when perfect hits a clothesline and a perfect plex for the victory i'm gonna go on a bit of a limb on this one i think i, I wasn't sure I was, I was debating at the start of the show where, whether or not i was gonna do it but do you know what fuck it let's go on a bit of a limb this was my match of the night I thoroughly enjoyed this. I thought it was actually really good. Just to confirm, because I'm not going to lie, I don't know 100%. I know about 99%. Blue Blazer is Owen Hart, right? Yes. <laughs> that's right. Yes. <laughs> that, that, that's what I figured. This, yeah, just this was good. I've got, you know, some good chain wrestling to start. You know, the, you know, Mr. Perfect, you know, similar to Shawn Michaels early on in the night was 
bump it all over the place to to try and make you know the blue blazer look as good as possible there was a really cool sort of uh power slam there at one point blazer went up for a splash off the top and perfect and got his knees up which looked bloody brutal it looked like it really fucking hurt there was a cool sort of crucifix uh sort of attempt at a pinfall at the end which was also really great i loved the perfect plex as a move so that was awesome for the pin and i, I just really enjoyed this i just thought this was some actually really good wrestling by both and yeah for me match of the night i don't think it's particularly controversial i mean it's not very long it's not very controversial sorry that you've picked it as match of the night except for the fact that it's not very long it's a classic case of this is why i said a minute ago why are they given the Bushwhackers and the Rougeos nine minutes? Because if they just switched the, the times of these matches around, this would have been lovely. This would have been a lovely match in the middle of the show. Not really very WWE-like, certainly at the time, but still would have been lovely. And really, it's weird because it feels like it should be a match, given this, the length as well, it should be a match where Mr. Perfect is showcased as being put over. But actually, he has none of the match at all other than the last few moments, which I find a bit weird. I just don't see what the point of the match is other than it to be good, which it is good. Just don't see what they're trying to accomplish with it. It just feels like it should have been the other way around. If, if anything, you know, a, a more interesting way would have been to have Mr. Perfect completely dominate and then Blue Blazer win it luckily or something. But for what you get, it's, it's pretty decent. But yeah, I just don't really understand what they're trying to accomplish with it. I'm not surprised, Matt, that this is your match of the night, because this is probably the most technically proficient wrestling match of the night. Again, very little notes about this, because it's the first time that Mr. Perfect has wrestled in the WWF in a singlet rather than tights. And I cannot stop looking at Mr. Perfect's dick, because it's so prominent. It is horrendous. He's got his really like light lime green onesie on. And you can just see everything. And I was like, oh, my God. And then once I focused on it, that was it. I was you done. Dicks tonight. Um, oh, my God. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> can you just say that again for the viewers who didn't hear it? <laughs> nope. They, they had their chance. <laughs> um, there is, again, some lovely banter in this about Larry the Axe Hennig's neck, which I quite enjoyed. I can't remember what it is, but listeners, keep an ear out for it because it's quite good. Yeah, there's a bit where Jesse... <laughs> Just Ventura shouts out Terry, Terrell, Jade, and Jeremiah. <laughs> Friends from Minnesota with no context okay. behind that at all. I <laughs> loved it. Uh, old Owen, Blue Blazer, hits a beautiful belly to belly suplex in this match. And as you said, Matt, the perfect plex is is a work of art. It's it's, it's a wonderful suplex. And he delivers it perfectly every time. Pun very much intended. Um, and this was one of the matches that I've forgotten happened on this show. And I was very happy. When I was like, oh, yes, this is on there because this is this is you knew this is going to be a good match for the amount of time it's going to get, which admittedly wasn't long enough, in my opinion. But yeah, overall, I, I, I enjoyed this match as well. Yeah, it was one of the matches I did remember being on the show. One of the reasons why I thought going in that the show was going to be pretty decent. Saying that, I was a little bit disappointed with it. I remember it being better. I thought it was a little sloppy in one or two places. And again, they just didn't get any time. And it was all one sided. It was a blue blazer all the way through. And then Mr. Perfect won at the end. I just... Yeah, technically good, but not just didn't really do anything. I just was a bit like, why, why? What was the point in that? Just didn't make any sense. Next up, 
It's the oh. customary introduction of Jesse Ventura to the crowd, which he then does his posing on top of the balcony for everybody, like he did the last year. And the crowd eats it up because it's he's one of the few people they recognise because he's obviously been in Hollywood films. It's so good. I love it. It makes me laugh so much every time I see it. Go on, Jesse. So we've got more fun from Lord Alfred Hayes up next because he's at a 5K run, which is another part of WrestleMania, apparently. The brunch was previously part of WrestleMania. This is another one. Mr. Fuji arrives and he says he's going to enter he stays he says he stays in good shape and that the powers of pain will be the new tag team champions after wrestlemania 5 when the race starts fuji gets a head start and then everyone seems to get past him pretty quickly we then fast forward to the end of the the run and they show mr fuji finishing all the while he's been wearing his bowler hat and his suit to do all this uh hayes says congratulations and he says that fuji has proved that he's in great shape he's so disheveled by the time it finishes <laughs> by the time he gets it obviously he doesn't do the whole thing and there is speculation that he may have got a cab later on in this as well but I, I loved it it did make me think like imagine imagine if that was still part of WrestleMania weekend you're like okay what's in the itinerary okay we've got like access hall of fame a 5k <laughs> as part of WrestleMania weekend fuck off I'm not doing that <laughs> I'm in America I'm gonna eat some gross food and feel like shit for the next three days <laughs> like I'm not doing a 5k but I, I loved it it made, it made me chuckle so much warm my cockles just bizarre it just really out of place i was like what the fuck are they doing a 5k run for yeah it just felt really strange so then Howard Finkel introduces Run DMC for the WrestleMania rap, a song that I have been unable to find on YouTube, which is a disappointment because I was hoping to find the the actual recorded version of this song, but can't find it anywhere. So I want to quickly talk about the Run DMC performance because the sound mix or something like that is appalling on it, isn't it? It's, it's like you're getting what's actually in the arena rather than like the microphones being plugged into like a different channel and being able to actually hear it clearly. It's a pretty inaudible performance and Donald Trump looks absolutely disgusted in the front row throughout the entire thing the crowd seemed to enjoy it a little bit more than i would have expected based on how much they've enjoyed everything else but it kind of goes into your point tinky like you said they've probably heard of run dmc Hmm. whereas they probably haven't heard of you know the blue blazer so to speak next up tony shivoni is outside randy savage's dressing room savage is ranting in the dressing room and when shivoni tries to enter savage rants at him and the cameraman to get up that's all we see the cameraman stacks it as well always love to see a cameraman's shoes match number seven is Dino Bravo versus Ronnie Garvin in a match that goes for three minutes and ends when uh, Bravo hits a sidewalk slam and gets the pin. Matt. This is just going to be the, the shortest review for a match ever in this one. They, I literally have next to nothing other than I just thought that uh, Ronnie Garvin did one of the nicest jackknife covers I've ever seen. And that, that's that's the only thing that, that I felt was relatively of note. Otherwise, it's too short to be anything. I thought this is going to be pretty stiff because we've seen, I don't know if we may have even reviewed it, have we, Tinker? I yeah. know we've definitely spoken about it before. The match between Rugged Ronnie Garvin and Greg Hammer Valentine, which I would recommend anybody watching because it's great. Great. It's the, one of the stiffest matches you'll ever watch in WWE. Randomly, at the beginning of the match, Jimmy Snooker comes out for no mm. reason. Does nothing. He just goes out, murders a woman, and leaves again. It's weird. <laughs> which he was, which he was known for. Yeah, yeah, notorious for actually. It's just yeah, not really much to talk about. I mean, how do you, the thing said, I was watching, I was like, Dino wins with a side suplex, reasonably unimpressive, and the crowd aren't really into it, but how do you follow that masterpiece we've just seen? <laughs> so I'm not surprised the crowd aren't into it. Again, though, further to your point, Tinky, Garvin attacks the heels and then just hits the manager, Dino Bravo's manager, Rick G. Martin, with, with the old Garvin stomps. 
which is Frenchy nice Mine. to see. Frenchy Frenchy Mine. Mine. Oh, is that his, I didn't know. I didn't know what his name was. Uh, he's done. He doesn't done take up a lot, lot of space in my mind. To be honest, what? I'm too busy. He he doesn't. He he doesn't from this era. Um, but what I will say is that obviously, um, we haven't got to the Piper's Pit segment yet, have we? But apparently, according to the Dark Side of the Ring episode about Dino Bravo, he used to love selling loose cigarettes. And I wonder how much money he made off of that cunt in the Piper's Pit segment, <laughs> that Morton Downey Morton Tony Jr. Yeah. Because if he smoked as much as he, he claims to have, then old Dino would have been laughing. Yeah, it was another one where I'm like, why is this on the show? It's just, again, about them getting everybody on the card. Typical WWF. It's always been their thing. There's a, This is a 14-match card. We didn't need this 14th match, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that's what I'm going to say about it. Next up, we get the Brain Busters versus Strike Force. And uh, this one is a nine-minute contest. And it ends when, ultimately, Rick Martel gets hit with a flying forearm by Tito Santana by accident, and then walks out on his partner. The fans actually come alive for this, booing Martel as he walks away. Anderson hits a spine buster. Santana goes for a monkey flip, but Arn holds on to Tully to prevent it, and then the brain busters hit a spike pile driver to win the match. Tom? Yeah, I quite like this match. I, I really did. I mean, got to give a shout-out to Arn Anderson, because he's got a great rug going on, haven't they? Great hairy chest. Fair play to the lad. There's some pretty good wrestling in this match, actually. There's a, a lovely bridge by uh, Tito Santana, Bridge Escape that he does at one point. And ultimately, the, the point of this match is to split up the split up strike force. And going into this, there had been a bit of friction between the two of them. Apparently, Rick Martel had asked that they reform, and, and then he then leaves after he gets hit by um by, by Santana. My boy is in the aisle, Tinky, as well, of Rene Goulet. Yes. I noticed he's just there hanging out in the aisle having a lovely time in the weird ramp it's something we haven't mentioned yet a really strange entranceway at Trump Plaza isn't there it's really narrow and really high up and there's like steps at the beginning of it it's very very peculiar entrance points of the arena the spike pile driver by the brain busters is, is a thing of beauty as is Arn Anderson's brain buster fair play to him spine buster what did I say brain buster yeah yeah well it's, you know what you can see where I got that wrong can't you it's just yeah quite a fun quite a fun match and ultimately it, it leads towards you know Rick Martel becoming the model and, and being a heel for a good couple of years and we mentioned the rivalry that kind of went on forever between uh, Rick and Santana and this is kind of the the origin of that and I um yeah I, I really liked it and at the end of the match there's a brief interview isn't there with um Rick Martel from Gene Oakland and Gene Oakland is absolutely disgusted with Rick's actions and that's what I like I love the fact that Gene Oakland is the moral compass of the WWE it's weird seeing Arn Anderson in the WWF ring as well it is just a bit weird I've seen it before obviously but it still always is feels a bit weird at that time especially considering how much how much of a short they weren't there they were only there for a year not even that were they i don't think well, it might have been for nearly two it might have been for about two years because the brain busters win the tag titles later in the year so yeah but it's it's not like yeah it's not like really long matt total disclosure that for me that this is where the show started to go off a cliff a little bit I, I think my enjoyment of this match probably suffered a little bit because of it in all fairness i think if i probably watched it again i'd probably enjoy it more and, and give it a little bit more attention than, than i probably did not not to say that you know i didn't enjoy it and it, you know it wasn't bad it, it certainly was good and and i do quite like tito santana so to, to see him sort of do most of the match on his own i, I thought was pretty cool and um, yeah the, the the spike pile driver at the end absolutely was like that literally grabbed my attention that was a thing of beauty but yeah it just i don't know i just i, I started to, to lose it a little bit at this point in the show and the, you know the, this match it was where i just started to think oh this is getting on a bit now so i, I do think if i watch it again it, it probably would be a little bit better so yeah I, 
I don't think I'm being overly fair on it, but it, it, it wasn't too bad. This was another one that I was going in looking forward to for this show for. And again, I was slightly disappointed with it. It was, it was again, it was fine. It was decent. But the Brain Busters are capable of so much more. The stri- I think Strike Force are as well, in fairness. But it told a good story. And as I said, the fans actually came alive for something on this show during this match. So when Martel walks out, they are booing the hell out of him. Now, given that they don't probably know these two teams beforehand, and then certainly I've also got a, a note at the beginning, which says the crowd is completely silent, shows that the story of this match actually seeped through into the crowd, which was pretty impressive given that the crowd just were not interested really in the whole show. So I like that that aspect of it. And obviously we have referenced Tito Santana versus Rick Martel a million times because it's such a good example of a significant tag team who had been the champions splitting up and then the company not allowing its viewers to forget the fact that they used to be tag team partners and that they will forever hate each other, even though they're no longer in a feud, an officially designated feud, that dislike between the two remains throughout their remaining WWF career so that when they happen upon each other in a Royal Rumble, they just resume hostilities immediately because they really dislike one another. It should be the default setting of all wrestling for me to have this memory of a significant partnership that then splits up should remain a significant chapter in both the company's storylines and also these two characters' journey. And when you don't relate back to that again and again and again whenever they come into contact with one another again you lose all of that good equity that you've got from having done it in the first place and it happens all of the time in wwe you know i've seen it so many times where they just they just ignore the fact that two people used to hate each other now because they're no longer in an officially designated feud they don't hate each other anymore it just i just doesn't make this it's where wrestling really falls down for me uh in general it's like what we said earlier about people not showing their kind of respect to the viewers as a viewer you want to believe that what you've watched matters because if you don't believe it matters then in why would you watch what you're watching now because mm. you know in six months it won't matter anymore next up we've got as you said gene oakland's backstage with rick martel martel says he is sick and tired of carrying santana and he got what he deserves gene oakland castigates him for doing so then we get all the nonsense with Morton Downey Jr., Roddy Piper, and Brother Love. So I'll skip past that and go on to Gene Oakland again, who has some very exciting news. And he talks about No Holds Barred. And we get a sneak preview trailer of Hulk Hogan's new film where he plays Rip'em. Or, as I heard, Rick. <laughs> I thought that's a very, very uh, disappointing name for a lead character in a film. I'd never seen any of this film before, so this Not was me. quite an eye-opener to me. I am desperate to watch this film. I was wondering whether it's on the WWE Network, because it was a WWE production, as I remember. I don't think it is. This is the weakness of the network for me. They've got their own studios, the WWE, so why aren't all the WWE films on, on, on the network? They really should be. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's daft, isn't it? But apparently it's on the streaming service that I'm just downloading now. <laughs> the computer. And I, I'm very keen to watch this. And I would love to do an episode on it. Well, <laughs> maybe bonus. if I can ever bother to watch it myself, we may be able to do it at some point. But it won't be won't be soon, I would imagine. Um, right now, there are too many other busy things that are going on in my life. So as I said, this is like part of their, their kind of intermission bit now, because after this, Sean Mooney speaks to Donald Trump at ringside and Mooney appears extremely nervous. I don't know what's going on here, but he just doesn't seem comfortable at all speaking to Trump. Maybe Mooney, the hero that he is, already realised Trump was an absolute cunt and wasn't happy talking to him. But you know, who 
knows? Or maybe Trump grabbed him by the pussy. Maybe he did, yeah. Then we get Monsoon and Monsoon and Ventura at the uh, commentary desk, and Ventura is livid that Hogan has stepped into what he calls his domain. Ventura says Hollywood ain't big enough for the both of them, and he storms off and then decides to come back because he's a professional and doesn't want to leave Gorilla Monsoon on his own for the rest of the show. If Tom wasn't distracted by what he was doing with the with this this app where he's trying to find no holds barred, he might have actually had something to say about that because that's no, it's on the part. Pluto app. Oh, I don't care about that. We've I don't, don't from have Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> but it's free. Anyway, sorry. What were you saying, Dickie? Doesn't matter now. We've, we're going to right. past it. Don't, don't we, worry. I, I, I'll give you something on that. Go on. Promo of the night. Well, friend from Ventura. Oh, oh yes, yeah. Brilliant. Literally, as soon as he was done, I was like, whoa. Where, I was like, where the hell did that come from? When you say where the hell did that come from, you've been hearing him talk for the last three or four shows. You know he can talk. Not like, <laughs> not like that, I haven't. He's obviously a brilliant talker. That's why he's on commentary. He's, he says, um, if Hulk Hogan wants to come to Hollywood so bad, he can come to Hollywood and drive my limo. <laughs> so we then get the video package which documents the history between Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan so we see the end of Wrestlemania 4 with Savage and Hogan and Elizabeth celebrating Savage's title win in the tournament then we see Hogan and Savage celebrating their win at SummerSlam and Savage's annoyance at Hogan celebrating with Liz then we see the Survivor Series and Hogan and Savage being the sole survivors in their match we then see Saturday Night's main event with Bossman and Akeem going after Liz and Savage making the save superstars then when Hogan saves Savage from an attack by the Twin Towers we see the main event where Liz gets hurt and Hogan carries Liz to the back Savage then slapping Hogan during the tag match that they're involved in at the time and then afterwards backstage Savage attacking Hulk Hogan for me so we we spoke about this on the Wrestlemania 4 show for me remains the best story WWF have ever done and I think commercially the story did the job it did the business as I said this was the best the highest pay-per-view buy rate of any Wrestlemania till Wrestlemania 15 bigger than Wrestlemania 3 despite the big crowd obviously at Wrestlemania 3 this was on in pay-per-view terms a bigger show although I should also note that probably the pay-per-view audience was bigger as well at the time because more people had the technology in their homes but also in terms of this is a year-long story they've sown the seeds even at Wrestlemania 4 as Alex was talking about on the last show saying you know how he felt like Hogan had taken his spotlight that all fed into this whole journey they were going to go on where Savage was jealous they had a little bit of dissension at SummerSlam a little bit more at Survivor Series a little bit more again at the Royal Rumble then they had Saturday Night's main event where they ultimately broke up I just think it's brilliant it's not super complicated it's not super nuanced or even particularly detailed but it really does the job and you know exactly what's going on throughout but it's just it's just excellent i really really love this and this was a good i thought this was a bit of a rushed retelling of it to be honest i thought they could have done a little bit better of a job of this package but overall i love the story yeah it's i mean you're not going to get any arguments from me I, I think it's absolutely wonderful and it makes me i think i've said this on the podcast before but i can remember this happening you know i can remember not necessarily watching it at the time but I can remember going into again I'm going to go very brisk the way Matt so apologies me and Tinky went to the same primary school together Noel Juniors yeah. and um, there, there was a shop around the corner from us that surely had a name but everyone referred to it as the Mars shop because it had a big Mars logo outside on the thing and they sold loads of magazines in there including some some naughty magazines which I can remember looking at when I was a bit older but uh, I remember at the time going in there and getting told off for reading wrestling magazines because it was just around the corner from my grand's house and I'd go in there and uh, I can remember buying an, an issue of WWF magazine in there about the mega powers exploding so I just it takes me straight back to that 
and seeing all this footage, I, I absolutely adore it. And it's such a, such an amazingly well-told story that I wish WWF would have the patience to tell now. I know they've got more content to fill and stuff like that, but still, it's 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 absolutely genius. And this is what I think. Like, this, maybe this is why I gravitate towards the Bloodline stuff because it feels like they're doing and Roman Reigns specifically now because it feels that's what they're doing at the moment. Well, you know, taking their time. If you go back to that that Bloodline stuff as well, like it, at the very least, you could go back to the match that Matt laments so much the clash of the castle where drew mcintyre lost to roman reigns and see how that has also fed into that survivor series war games match because drew mcintyre is there because he's still annoyed by the fact that he lost that match as his mat so that does suggest that there is a little bit more long-term storyline go- telling going on right there and i hope that that continues but you know for me this is just this is the blueprint for me this is this is so simple and so perfect and it works so well because actually at the end of wrestlemania 4 there aren't three more popular people anywhere in wrestling than Savage Hogan and Elizabeth. So to, yeah. to then take them on that journey over the course of the year is just magnificent. I'm, I'm going to underplay it a little bit. Um, only to be fair, I, I just think they, I, I didn't see it at the time. So to be fair, I, I, I don't hold as much reverence perhaps uh, as you guys or, or others do. Again, it, it was good, definitely good stuff. Definitely enjoyed it. It was definitely quite informative, the package as well. And yeah, like I said, it, it was good stuff. I, just, I can't say I've got you know that, that sort of affinity for it, but yeah, but it was definitely good. Well, I haven't either. I mean, I wasn't there at the time either. So don't get me wrong. I'm, I watched this entirely retrospectively. I just think when you look at it, you look at the fact they plotted it out right the way through that year. You know, they have the WrestleMania in April, then they go to August SummerSlam, November Survivor Series, January Rumble. They're right the way round back here. And they obviously been planning this since before WrestleMania 4, because as we said last time, that's the whole point of WrestleMania 4 is to set up Savage versus mm. Hogan at WrestleMania 5. So it's a really genuinely well thought out bit of booking that they've, and I think they've been aided by the fact that Hogan was off doing movies so that he wasn't there all the time so they could do it really gradually but ultimately you just use what you've got and they did really well. So then we get a backstage interview with Hulk Hogan conducted by Gene Oakland. Hogan says he should have seen this thing coming because the mania was just always a little bit ahead of the madness. Hogan then says that Savage made him believe that he believed in the three commandments he says savage was eaten alive by jealousy and couldn't be the man hulkamaniacs had wanted him to be he says savage is a cheap shot artist and then hogan went on about the foundation similar to the previous year and he completely lost me again so maybe i'm looking at reading into this too much but i think there's a lot of cum jokes in this thing because he, he talks about you the coming. again no 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 honestly, honestly watch this right he, he says in there about coming at the beginning he says that macho man can't handle the load he talks talks about exploding erupting he talks about the fans all swallowing later on there's this is littered with blowjob and cum jokes honestly watch it back you'll it'll blow your mind like like hulk hogan's load <laughs> you won't need to watch it back because i will surely include it in the half time point of this show yes yeah, so listen out for that listeners also it's at this point where i was like fucking it's been 25 minutes since the last match because <laughs> i was like yes. jesus christ it feels like it had been a long time and it had been a very long time hogan lost me on this the, <laughs> i got the start and then the rest so we're just like what the fuck is he rambling on about he, he definitely does it with a shit ton of passion I'll give you that and his eyes fucking double in size whenever he's doing his promos but yeah he, he just lost me at this point yeah it was exactly the same promo well the last bit was the exact same promo as the year before he's talking about the foundations of the Trump plaza and Donald Trump needing to hold on to his yeah. arm when he saved oh, 
it was ridiculous. So then we get another match that had been built up for a number of months, Andre the Giant against Jake the Snake Roberts with Big John Studd as the special guest referee, a match that goes nine and a half minutes. And it ends when Studd argues with Andre and then Andre pushes Studd, Studd pushes him back. All the while, Roberts gets Damien out, but then Roberts gets nailed from behind by DiBiase, who tries to steal Damien. Roberts then retrieves Damien from DiBiase. Meanwhile, Andre has attacked Studd, but Roberts releases Damien and Andre retreats. After all that, Roberts has won by disqualification. Tom. Yeah. I was expecting a little bit more from this match, if I'm being honest. I, I was a little bit. Now I know that you know Andre Giant is not the most mobile and stuff like that, but I was I was just expecting a bit more story in this one, if I'm being honest. It, it wasn't the best. I was I was a little bit disappointed by it. We talk about this every time. We talk about the snakes and the use of animals and how we're not fans of it, etc. But it was just a, a bit weird. And I seem to remember I was thinking of another match. I think it might have been at the Survivor Series previously, where Andre Giant gets disqualified for choking Jake Roberts constantly like just going right up to the five count and then stopping and then going back again because he hates him so much for the survivor Um, series yeah yeah i think so and i was think i was hoping that match was going to be or that that spot was going to be on there and it wasn't it goes through andre's usual spots he does his his arms in the rope spot and all that sort of stuff but yeah it it was it was okay but at this point i'm kind of thinking to myself like this we've seen a lot of matches now and this should be one of the one of the flagship matches and i didn't really enjoy it as much as I thought I would. Yeah, to, to be fair, I, I, I can't really disagree with that. There really wasn't much to it. Pretty much the most of it was just Jake trying to, you know, get the snake to Andre and Andre, you know, trying to appearing to be scared of the snake, which, you know, all right, okay. I mean, pr- pretty much the only offense that Andre pretty much had was, was choking him, you know, like every bloody minute or so <laughs> but oh he's trying to choke i was like oh, all right okay and this was just really boring i don't even want to say exciting i mean it got a little bit more interesting shall we say towards the end i mean there were so many bloody run-ins i was wondering what the hell was going on but yeah this didn't really do anything and i can't say this that this was that good so a bit of a dud unfortunately i couldn't remember why ted DiBiase ran in be honest I couldn't there was no explanation on the show and I don't know if there was something longer term I mean obviously DBS and Andrea had been together the previous year but I don't think they were by this point anymore so mm. it did that, that bit didn't really make any sense to me also Big John Studd being the referee so Big John Studd had won the Royal Rumble earlier in the year mm. why he had won the Royal Rumble no one knows because he didn't do anything with it he didn't give him give him a big push he wasn't like putting a main match at this year at the year's Wrestlemania he was in the, he was the referee of an Andre the Giant match so didn't really make a whole heap of sense to be honest that whole Big John stood winning the 1989 Royal Rumble. That's what you were in 1989. Good God. Yeah, well, it was the first pay-per-view Rumble 1989. Okay. So um, there's only been one previous to that. Yeah. Ed Demolition mm. out as one and two as well. Lovely old job. This wasn't a very good match at all. It was what Andre and Andre the Giant could do. It was also what this story had pretty much done since the beginning of it. So as you said, Tom, there's the match at Survivor Series where there are opposite teams. Andre gets disqualified because he keeps choking Jake Roberts in exactly the same way. He kind of does here, but a little bit less persistent. And then at the Rumble, Andre the Giant gets eliminated when Jake the Snake brings out Damien and Andre throws himself over the top rope. So it's effectively the two things they'd done in the previous shows just in a match. And the match was just nothing. It was just really poor. There were a lot of matches on here that don't need to be on the show. This one does need to be on the show because they built up to it for a long time. It's just not very good. It's probably the, the most disappointing, I think, of the matches that had been built up beforehand so then Sean Mooney we see up in the crowd with the fans and someone says Jake's the best whilst he's up there it's interesting he he goes, I'm up here in the cheap seats immediately mugging off the people that are there and then yeah. they, one of them goes Jake's the man woo and 
<laughs> that's it. I was like, that was really worth it. That was really <laughs> worth sending, like, making poor old Sean. I mean, he's probably in shape and stuff, but making Sean Mooney and some poor cunt of a cameraman walk all the way up to that bloody cheap seats just for that. <laughs> in fairness, you only see Sean Mooney about three times during the show, so it's not like he's got a big workload. <laughs> yeah, I know, but still, I have to walk up these steps. I tell, the funny part of that, though, was Gorilla Monsoon taking yeah. the piss out of the cheap seats. Yeah. <laughs> you cheeky bastard. He's, he's like, I'm surprised they can see up there without binoculars. And I'm like, you realise that this is a WWE show and you, the company, have sold these tickets to these people. You you can't be doing that, even if it's true. I know. I was thinking, fuck you. I'd be telling if I was one of those people. I was also thinking to myself, that's definitely where I would have been sitting as well. <laughs> so then uh, we see Tony Schiavone with Sensational Sari. She says that Rockin' Robin can't sing any better than she can wrestle. Which, I mean, I don't... I've only ever seen one Rockin' Robin match. And... Uh, I can't really remember any of it, but certainly her singing left something to be desired. She also that, then cuts a bit of a promo on Elizabeth. As well, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. The next thing we got on the show is the Honky Tonk Man and Greg the Hammer Valentine versus the Hart Foundation in a match that goes for seven and a half minutes, which ends when Jimmy Hart leaves the megaphone in the ring for Honky Tonk Man to grab, but Nidark gets it instead. He throws it to Brett, and Brett hits Honky with it and gets the pin. Tom? Yeah, this match is all right. Again, it, like if you're going to have this match and I have it, mean something i suppose they don't really they don't really lean into the fact that the heart foundation were previously managed by jimmy hart they kind of mention it but not not really it's not really an overarching kind of theme to the match we always talk about rick rude selling of the atomic drop but i tell you what oh greg the hammer does a lovely sell of an atomic drop as well and it did make me think i was like what part of your body does it hurt is it like your perineum is it your asshole like coccyx your coccyx is it your vesicular protuberus i don't know yeah. but uh, external was, o- o- external o- external occipital for i can't do it yeah, external exactly. occipital protuberance lovely stuff does it hurt that i don't know the match kind of goes in the way that a lot of tag matches go brett kind of gets the heat on him gets bad for a bit anvil comes in for a hot tag i tell you what he hit some lovely drop kicks in this old anvil I was very surprised pleasantly surprised to him and they do the, the other spot that i love from the heart relation is where they slingshot him into the ring which is always quite a fun one to see because he's a big lad it's a lovely suplex from brett you know the old both feet off the grounds on the on honky tonks absolutely wonderful but yeah it's you're right about the ending the ending's kind of like it's not quite a heel way to end a match but it's an it's a smart opportunistic way for a baby face to win a match without going full, fully heel on it they were going to have the megaphone used on them and they end up taking advantage of the situation and using it so i've got no problem with the end i would have liked a couple more minutes and a bit more brett offense but other than that this match was okay <laughs> get out i never would have guessed that from you tom yeah. <laughs> this was again this is another one uh, in the night though there was there was okay um nothing particularly bad or or, or good about it I, I will say that yeah i can't stand the atomic drop just just a stupid move that i just, I just don't need to see it's just one of those as soon as i see him like that no ah take takes up the match i just think that's just a load of shit but there you go in all fairness I, I probably thought the brett was probably the best thing in this match yes you did mention about some very nice suplexes that he did hit towards the end which is pretty good uh there was a really cool gut buster type sort of move that they put on brett at one point that i thought was really cool and i didn't realize um honky tonk man's uh, finisher was uh the sh- i think it's called the shake rattle and roll mm. which i didn't realize he was like basically he was like, taking the piss type neck breaker i was like oh okay i never knew that was his actual finisher so I was like, oh, that, that's cool. But yeah, other than that, like I said, this was okay. 
might have been a bit better if it was a little bit longer, but uh, never mind. It, it was okay, and you know, it was fine. Well, as you said, Tom, this is another match. It doesn't really need to be here. We, we've no real reason for this match to happen. Um, it's just another way to get these guys on the card, all of which are significant or have been significant at some point in their in their careers or are going to be significant. But ultimately, the match itself it doesn't mean anything. It's not for anything. It's not about anything. There's no there's been no build to it, and it's all right. It's perfectly serviceable. But it's we get into the point in the show where these these are the kinds of matches where I'm like, well, we could spend about five seconds talking about them and then move on because, yeah. and that's where I was with WrestleMania four and nearly throughout. I was pretty much every single match. That is fine, but it's, it's so average, it, it kind of hurts. Thankfully, I think this is broken up by more above average stuff and loads of stuff that's been really built too. So there's a lot more about this show, I think, than WrestleMania 4. But this is one of those matches where I'm like, let's just let's just move on. So we then get some footage from the super pose down at the Royal oh. Rumble between Rick Rude and Ultimate Mar- Warrior when Rude attacks Warrior with his kind of steel exercise bar. Um, this is ahead of the match between Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior. Rick Rude before the match does his pre-match bit high rolling Atlantic City sweat hogs and takes off his robe revealing he has the Intercontinental title printed on his tights this is for the Intercontinental title I just before we go into the actual match uh, before Matt gives us his thoughts I just want to go back to the super pose line for a second because the super pose line is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in a wrestling it's terrible. match it's in, in terrible. a wrestling and it's so boring and I can even remember back when I was a kid being like what the fuck is this why why do I care about these two poses but my favourite bit about it, and you see it in the um in the in the little clip of it, obviously. So before Rick Rude hits Warrior with his like pump bar thing, Bobby Heenan sprays a load of oil in the Warrior's face, which the Warrior just like no sells entirely. It's it's so weird. He's just standing there going ah, like doing his usual Warrior scream while Bobby Heenan's spraying all this baby oil in his face, and it's just so fucking bizarre. And it doesn't do anything until Rude starts battering him with with the old with the bar that he's using to give himself an extra pump for the pose down. It's so weird it's honestly Matt I'd, I'd recommend you watch it just because it's it's so bizarre like why they thought it was going to do it it's Vince's obsession with muscle guys in there and bodies that's what it is but it's just so fucking weird so the match is as I said for the Intercontinental title it's nine and a half minutes long the Ultimate Warrior defending against Rick Rude but Rude gets the victory and takes the title when as Warrior goes for a suplex into the ring on Rude Heenan gets Warrior's foot Rude comes down on the Warrior and then Heenan maintains his grip on Warrior's foot and Rude gets the pin to win the title. After the match, Warrior gets his hands on Heenan and press slams him in a relatively famous spot where I understand Heenan hurt himself on the uh, on the bump and uh, kind of it's one of the reasons why Heenan disliked Warrior quite a lot during this run. Matt, what did you think of this match? Unfortunately, this was my biggest letdown of the night. And I, I was actually had quite high expectations for this one. I don't know what it is in terms of, particularly when it comes to Rick Rude, I get the impression that he's really good. I could, I could be wrong. But from what I've little bits that I've seen here and there, I, I'd like to think that he's very good. And I, I was expecting a bit more from him in this. I mean, so it, it was a little bit of a letdown. I will say the Intercontinental title being on his gear was bloody brilliant. I did laugh my head off of that. I thought that... Just, that was quite genius. But yeah, I, I can't say that there was really that much to the match, which I, I was expecting more of. And um, the coolest thing in it was 
by far the pile driver that they did. And God, it's it's just such a it's one of those moves that just looks so damn devastating. And as long as they do it safely, it does look so brutal. And I just I wish they would do it more with you know with the right people. As soon as I saw that, I thought, wow, that's excellent. And the finish I thought kind of let let it down a little bit more as well. It, the finish felt a little bit weak to me. So I was I was quite disappointed. Like I said, I, I definitely had a little bit more higher hopes from the pair of them. So unfortunately, a bit of a thumbs down from me. Well, I'm going to jump in here because this is my match of the night. <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just to completely um, it. Matt. It's difficult. I mean, one of my talking points was actually the Ultimate Warrior and the fact that even though everyone thinks he's rubbish and I also think he's rubbish, he is involved, in my opinion, in the first sort of first six, seven, eight years of WWE pay-per-views. He's involved in at least three or four of the best 10 to 20 matches. Um, and this is one of them, I think. I think this is a really good match. I just think it's really decent. The pile driver is great. Rick Rude does a missile drop kick. I mean, Rick Rude's a big old guy and he does a lovely looking missile drop kick in this one i think the end's great i think the finish is perfect i think it's exactly what you want protects the warrior which is all they're going for here to give rick rude a victory which obviously warrior will avenge at some point later in in the year um ahead of his coming match with hogan at wrestlemania 6 but i just think it's a lovely little match really nicely done good stuff good moves had a good build as well another one of the matches with an actual build to it i really like it i really like this match it was it was the match i most enjoyed during the show Rick Rude calls himself the sexiest man alive, but think he was the sexiest man alive. Kill Roy, obviously. <laughs> obviously, obviously. Rick Rude not only does he have the icy belt on his tights, but he's also got he's also got the warrior on his bum, which is quite funny. And a picture of the warrior where he quite frankly looks demented as well, which is which is excellent. Did you guys notice that there aren't enough tassels on the warrior's boots for my liking in this match? <laughs> Very peculiar. There's not many tassels at all. Rick Rude's amazing in this match. His is selling. He sells for the warrior beautifully. He makes the warrior's offense look really, really good, which is which is funny because the Warriors' offense either looks completely unrealistic usually, or incredibly clumsy and dangerous. Um, to the point where he picks up, he picks up Rude for a backbreaker and then looks like he's going to pick him up again and hit him with another backbreaker but he loses his footing stumbles across the ring and they both nearly take a tumble at one point rudes goes to swivelers hips at one point and do his little thing and he can't because he's in so much pain which is just lovely as well it's great i didn't i'm not i'm somewhere in between you two i think i think i wanted more and i think their i think their match at SummerSlam 90 in the cage is is like the high the high point for these two certainly the, probably the best match of warriors career is it there that match with them um, for the for the WWF title in Survivor Series ninety no SummerSlam ninety sorry I think it is. Do you think um, that's better than both his match with Hogan and his match with Savage at WrestleMania? Probably not. No, probably not his match with Savage actually. To be fair, the match with Savage is, is great. The spectacle of the Hogan match, but I think in terms of the actual in ring action, I don't know. It's a hard one, but I I think I think this, I was expecting a little bit more from this match, but I still quite liked it and I liked the ending. And further to your point, Kentinky, all about Bobby Heenan getting involved and that drop that he takes. It's a fucking massive drop and it looks really awkward because he kind of lands on his side rather than his front he obviously I think he's expecting to be dropped Warrior drops him behind him doesn't he I think he's expecting to be gorilla pressed in your kind of traditional way where they bring them down and stand them in front of him and he just drops him and it looks quite nasty and then the, the poor cunt's got to come out in a little bit for another match so um, yeah it's, it's, it's pretty unfortunate he's a bit of an enigma the Warrior like he, he is sloppy he isn't very good he's obviously not very well trained and has basically been fast track to the top but as i said the end result in my opinion during this sort of run does yield a number of good matches matches 
matches that I actually think stand up. You, Matt, really like the SummerSlam 92 match between Savage and Warrior. So again, another one. Like you can name at least four or five matches that could genuine do genuinely hold up. It's certainly against the other stuff on the shows as well. When this is why when you say about the roster Tom, it's very easy to laugh because there is a real dearth of quality in general. So you know when you see a match that stands out, it really stands out. So next up we get Bad News Brown against Jim Duggan, a match which ends in a double disqualification after just under four minutes when Brown misses the ghetto blaster and then after going outside grabs a chair. Duggan grabs a two by four and the pair have a sword fight with their respective weapons. The referee throws the match out. There is at the end of the match some absolutely disgusting, horrible snot hanging from Jim Duggan's <laughs> nose. <laughs> And that the even even leaves Jesse Ventura retching on commentary. This this match has got your classic. You mentioned it last week, Tinky, or last episode. The classic bad news Brian walking away spot, which he does in every single match. <laughs> Admittedly, he's usually got a partner to walk walk away from, but this one he goes to walk away from the match. This is really quick. It's not going to be a clinic. None of them are particularly fucking hell. Yeah, fuck. Um, it's neither of them are particularly good. But I've always had a soft spot for Bad News Brain, again, because of those Survivor Series matches where he leaves because he hates everyone. So I've always been a big fan of that. Um, the, the highlight of the match is there's a bit where Tim White pulls Duggan away from Bad News Brain and Duggan yells, get off my ass! It's Tim White, which I enjoyed. To be fair, this is as good as I could expect it to be, considering that it's Bad News Brain versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And luckily, it's mercifully short. Yeah, for some reason in the past, I, I've, had, uh, I've had a bit of a thing for, for Jim Duggan and I've been a bit of a fan and I don't know what happened but I, I just felt like the bloom has come off the rose now <laughs> I just I don't know what it was maybe I just thinking differently before but good god he just irritated the shit out of me when I was watching this there was never there was never a bloom Matt there was no bloom ever <laughs> I don't know what I was seeing before, but my God, I wasn't seeing when I watched it this time. I was just like, all right, we get the whole thing. You've got the fucking two by four. Just shut up. It's just got on my nerves. I, at least it was quite quick and painless. And yeah, the, I, you know, the, the finish was, as you said, the sword fight with weapons, but not worth your time. Skip it. <laughs> Another match that doesn't need to be on the show. But to my point about the fact that all the hills have got managers, who's the one who doesn't? Bad News Brown because he hates everyone. I just love the consistency they've got with this character. It just makes perfect sense and it just stands out from everything else. It's great. I love it. It's, it sounds like they don't need to worry about consistency with the character because I'm pretty sure in Bret Hart's book he talks about Bad News Brown or Bad News Allen as he was in, in Stampede Wrestling and that he was a very difficult man. So then we have um, Gene Oakland backstage with Red Rooster. <sighs> Rooster says he's going to he's gonna teach Heedon how to lose and take care of business and after the match it will be party time in the barnyard <laughs> so it really is quite literally making this the red rooster gimmick rather than perhaps what was intended as bruce pritchard has outlined in his podcast in the past yeah this is crap fair enough let's move on so then we get match 13 of the 14 match card it is the red rooster against bobby the brain heenan heenan is accompanied by the brooklyn brawler basically this match lasts 30 seconds Heenan cowers in the corner but Rooster shows no mercy then Heenan misses a charge in the corner and the Rooster rolls him up for the win after the match the Brooklyn Baller attacks the Rooster I mean this again had some build but it lasted 30 seconds so there was really no need for the build was there they, they don't really say why this match is happening do they? Um, not really no but basically it's because Red Rooster was a loser and Bobby Heenan didn't like him so threw him out of the family and then basically now they're having a match against each other but it's, it's the fact that the, the Brooklyn Brawler is such a jobber that he causes other people to lose 
that, that, that's what I couldn't believe. The Brooklyn Brawler is such a jobber and beats the shit out of somebody else. I thought, fuck, Red Rooster, wow, you must really be bottom of the barrel. Yes, indeed. So let's move on. Dean Oakland is next backstage with Elizabeth. She says that she'll be in a neutral corner for the main event. And from there, she will continue to support both men. She says she can only pray that neither man will be injured. Tony Schiavone is then in the dressing room and says all the wrestlers have vacated the area to go watch the main event. And Sean Mooney in the crowd asks who will win the Hogan versus Savage match. They all say Hulk Hogan. But Mooney then claims that we have a split opinion amongst the fans. (laughs) The Elizabeth promo. Now I'm as big an Elizabeth fan as any, anyone else is. Um, not quite as big as Stephen. I know he's a big Elizabeth fan. The lack of charisma in this promo is abs- is Linda McMahon-esque. I think you could probably try and say you could claim that it's her being nervous and concerned and stuff like that about it. But it takes her about 10 to 15 seconds after each sentence to remember what she's going to say and then deliver it. It's really, really bad. Yeah, but that's why she didn't really talk. She barely yeah. ever spoke. You know, I mean, there's nearly every promo that she's about to speak. Randy Savage just interrupts and makes sure she doesn't speak, yeah. probably for this exact reason, because she can. <laughs> yeah, it's dreadful. It's a really bad promo. So we get to the main event. So I rushed through some of that pre-match stuff, but time is ticking along here. So we've got Randy Savage versus Hulk Hogan for the WWF World Heavyweight title. It, a match that goes for 18 minutes. And what happens is that Savage hits the big elbow from the top, but Hogan kicks out, hulks up. He then hits the big boot and the leg drop and gets the pin to win the world title. Matt, what do you think of this? This is another example of the so-called sort of Hogan formula, but my God, when it when it works, it works. And this is a prime example of it working match quality wise it, it might not necessarily have been the best thing that you've ever seen you know there definitely are better matches out there to be honest that you could argue there's better matches on this show but this felt like what you paid to see this was your you know your, your big fight feel and and particularly for me you know being an mma fan i i live for that big fight feel where this you know it's, it's two people you really want to see go at it and you really care about the result and that's what this you know th- this felt like that completely Randy Savage, I thought, was a fantastic heel from running away early at the start to, to grabbing Elizabeth and putting her in front of him at one point, which, my God, did that piss the people off and they thought he was a right pussy probably for that. So that was great. Hogan is just the best bloody baby face. And, you know, but by the end, by the time that, you know, he, he, you know, he hit the big leg and he won the pose down, which, you know, almost went on comically long, you know, at the end of the show. But the fact that it went on for that long made you think, wow, this, this is a big fucking deal. The true hero is really done it and I was thinking the entire time watching that sort of pose now wow this feels like a really big moment so um, I really enjoyed this this was probably one of the best things on the show yeah I was I was wasn't sure whether to make this my match tonight or not and I think it's I think it's really good I just think that um, the Rude Warrior match just shaded it for me Tom what did you think I think this match is is really really good the things that you said Matt are true like I like Matthew Man kind of like posing at the beginning like looking like he's going to do something then like carrying away is great who does a little bit of chain wrestling at the beginning which we, is, we don't see very often like kind of gets him into like a, a like a, works the arm works his way around the back and gets does a drop toe hold into a front face lock and i was like wow i've not not seen that very often from Hulk Hogan. and it's a bit clunky so there's probably a reason why but it's pretty back and forth to be honest the heat on matching man is brilliant especially the bit where he comes out and berates liz in front of everyone which is a bit probably a bit close to home if we're being honest though it's probably a bit of an insight into how their relationship 
championship actually was unfortunately but it gets a lot of heat from the crowd but again Machuan he, he kind of goes down the steamboat route with it with the double axe handle off the top rope onto onto Hogan who's on the railing and starts working over his neck loads which I quite liked but ultimately you know what you're going to get you know what the inevitable is the elbow drop that Machuan hits on Hogan from the top is absolutely spectacular he flies so far and puts so much into it and it's absolutely it looks incredible but then obviously Hogan kicks out and hogs out and does it, what I thought was a disappointingly he doesn't even hit him with a slam or anything or it's not even that many punches it's literally like two punches the big kick and the leg drop for the win I would have liked a little bit more offense from Hogan to make it make it seem like Macho Man was a slightly bigger deal than he than he presented in this but this is a very good match and would be probably my match of the night had it not been for the powers of pain versus demolition <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, yeah, I, I think I do agree with you at the end of the match in terms of Hogan maybe giving Savage something a little bit extra. But saying that again, and I go back to this point that I made last week, it's not about Savage. They're not in the business of trying to create anyone else or even no. try and maintain anybody else. It's all about Hogan. They don't care about anything else. They just want Hogan to come out looking the star, having overcome the most recent nemesis that he's got and move him on to the next thing. That's all they're interested in. And that's what they do. Hogan wins. I will take a little bit of umbrage with the comments about Hogan and his ability to wrestle. So I think when he needed to, Hogan could. And also Hogan was very, very clever at understanding what a crowd wanted, depending on what market he was in. WWF has always been a punch kick promotion. Okay. Always has been, even during John Cena, who couldn't punch, even during that time, it still was a punch kick promotion. And it still is to this day. There's a reason why Roman Reigns is the biggest star and his his main move is the Superman punch. It's a punch kick promotion. Always has been, probably always will be. And especially in the 80s, the fans didn't really want anything else. No, I've said this before. I've seen Madison Square Garden shows from like the late 70s and early 80s. And Sam Martino's on top. He does the punch and kicks. That's it. Doesn't do anything else the fans eat it up they're going mad for him all the way through the opening matches wrestlers like eduardo carpentier on the show does lots of like quite technical flippy stuff fans just aren't interested at all just doesn't interest them one bit and and hogan when he went to japan could wrestle knew what he had to do but here in wwf he knew what he was about and it was about punches and kicks and that's it yeah i mean i wasn't criticizing him for not doing it very often because i i I i've read but i've I've never seen any of the japan stuff obviously but i've heard that he had he was able to do some really good work over there as well where that kind of style is appreciated but I think it looks a little bit clunky and rusty when he does it probably because he doesn't do it very often yeah he does, it's definitely in his WWF run he, he's, he's left it behind but he yeah. he was capable that's the point he was capable of doing things that were a bit more technical he just didn't do it in WWF because the fans didn't require of him in fact they wanted him to do the punches and kicks that's all they really wanted from him it's a good match it's a really good match savage is great hogan's really decent it's one of the best matches i think it's probably the best wrestlemania match other than see this is where i'm kind of a little bit i feel a little bit tongue-in-cheek about the warrior rude match i just did enjoy that most but i think most people would argue this is the best match on the show and also is probably the best wrestlemania match since savage versus steamboat second best match in wrestlemania history by this moment in time and it's definitely right right up there obviously this is the bit for me where they get to the end of this journey that hogan's been on really since the the beginning of his first title run going back to what i've said over the last couple of episodes from wrestlemania 3 wrestlemania 4 into wrestlemania 5 they've been building to this match for the last year but within that it's felt like all part of the same journey it's felt like it's not felt like there's been a stop point and then we've moved on to the next feud it feels like we've gone from andre to the tournament to savage completely organically and almost blended in together so that one's 
automatically led to the other rather than just Hogan's overcome Andre then moved on to Savage that's not how it's gone they really layered the two over each other and moved this whole journey together and I think they kind of lose that after this point I don't think he's still on that journey but Savage remains on the journey now so his journey really began at WrestleMania 4 you could argue and he now goes on that journey right the way through to WrestleMania 7 and the match where he has with the Warrior so even there there's still that kind of organic feel to the, to the way a wrestler's going and that makes more sense because Hogan by this point they were now WWF were now in the business of looking for the next big star and they had it on the show on this show but it wouldn't be revealed until our next episode which will be WrestleMania 6 of course so it's time to get your overall thoughts on the show and any gaps for example mvps that you haven't yet called out i'm going to start with you matt cool um match the night already gave earlier but again that is a blue blazer and it's perfect the mvp i think it'll be hard pressed to not give it to hulk hogan okay that, that show just thinking that this is about hogan so hogan is my mvp as for the score of the show ugh, i'm gonna give it a five out of ten Tom, I my MVP is a tough one because if I can't give it to four people, which I don't think I can, then I'll give it to Jesse on commentary because he is brilliant, arguably at his peak, I think in this in this pay-per-view absolutely phenomenal obviously a lot of credit does also go to gorilla as well but mainly jesse for that one in terms of my overall score it's a hard one because it, it gets you the bump obviously but I, I i gave wrestlemania 3 a 9 didn't i and i don't think that i can score it that high because there were moments where i'm watching this and i'm thinking this match shouldn't be on air i'm thinking bad news brown Jim Duggan, the Heart Foundation versus Rhythm and Blues, Dino Bravo versus Ronnie Garvin. Like those matches, especially towards the end of the show, while we're struggling a little bit. So I'm going to give this a seven. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to give this a six, which is the same I gave WrestleMania 3. I think that the highs are not quite as high as WrestleMania 3. Like I think the, the, the big fight feel in the main event is not quite the same as it is in the main event of WrestleMania 3. I think the Steamboat Savage match is better than Rick Rude versus The Warrior, for example. Obviously, fair bit better. But I do think overall this is a better show. I think that the Blue Blazer Owen Hart match stands up. I think the Brain Busters against Strike Force is a really decent little story-led match. I think the open is quite good, actually. But it's way better than average than I expected the Rockers versus the Twin Towers is really decent again not really any reason for it but the thing that I said before that really brings this up is just the build the matches there are about five or six matches on the show that have been built for at least six months and they've been really kind of gradually getting there to these matches and I really really like that and I think it shows I think that you know the fact that this is the biggest Wrestlemania until Wrestlemania 15 is a testament to how well they've built these matches the main event the matches underneath between Andre and Jake between demolition of the powers of pain between the warrior and rick rude they have built those matches for months and months and it's because of that that so many people have wanted to watch the show i imagine most of them are tuning in for the main event to see hogan finally overcome savage after a year's build but overall yeah a really a really quite decent show and it hit my expectations which i'm which I'm really, really glad about because I did think it was going to dip under them before I started and it, and it didn't. I mean, I managed to hit them uh, exactly where I expected it to. So in terms of where that puts the show in the league table, 
of WrestleMania so far. It is second behind WrestleMania 3 at the moment, WrestleMania 5. So uh, it's gone in there but above WrestleMania 1 and obviously 4 and then 2 at the back end of that. I don't think anything's going to go lower than WrestleMania 2. But then we have got some pretty poor stuff still to come in some places. We've got a couple of stinkers coming up, haven't we? So all that's left for me to do is to thank you, Tom, for your contributions today. It's a pleasure. And finally, thank God we've got Powers of Pain on here. If for no other reason, then I finally got to say I watched them on this podcast. So I'm forever grateful to that. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time coming. We've seen Barbarian in the Head Shrinkers. We've seen Barbarian as a singles wrestler. We've seen him with Haku. We've seen him in all kinds of guises. But finally, we've got to see him in the Powers of Pain. Yes, finally. Thank God for that. And Matt, thank you as well for joining us today. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Pleasure as always. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back in two weeks' time where we will be covering the ultimate challenge, WrestleMania 6. But until then, 